Now you come back down here again, Pop, and we'll kill you. You understand? This is private property. We will shoot you, fucko. Do you get it? Fucking old fart come down here. Big, dangerous gun. Yeah. We're quaking. We're quaking. You come on back, you come on back and visit trespass, okay? We look forward to it, asshole. Stupid English fuck. Welcome to episode number 73 of the Dude and a Monkey podcast. Uh, I am steering the ship this uh, this week. My name is Ian Loring, and as always, I am joined by... Uh, Mark Foster. Hello, guys. Hello, hello, hello. So, coming up on this week's show, um, a bit of a bigger one than usual, I suppose. So, um, we got uh, Richard Linklater's Boyhood as the, uh, the main review, and uh, we've also got uh, the last... Parts of Ian and Mark throw their own shit at each other with the last two films that we're going to be covering uh, from the Planet of the Apes series. So we're going to be doing um, uh, the Tim Burton 2001 remake of uh, Planet of the Apes and then Rise of the Planet of the Apes from 2011. And then obviously we will be reviewing Dawn of the Planet of the Apes next week. Um... We've also got some uh, like Twitter questions and we've actually got an email as well, I noticed, and uh, we'll we'll do some one old, one new, and uh, trailers. Uh, Mark, anything to say, or should we just get into the trailers? Uh, what I think we should do, just very quickly beforehand, is we're recording uh, this right now. It is 20 past 6 on July the 13th, and the World Cup final kicks off in about an hour and 40 minutes. But obviously, by the time you people are listening to this, uh, the World Cup final will happen. So, Ian, predictions. Go on. Oh, fucking hell. Uh, well, Germany all the way. Um... It's going to be a lot tighter 
I reckon. Um, then I mean seven one, Jesus H Christ. Um, and then three 0 last night as well. Like I mean, Holland were kind of all over him. So, uh, but yeah, tonight three one Germany. Three one Germany. Uh, do you know what? I, I was going to go three one Germany as well. Nice. I, I, I can't see beyond Germany. I think that the problem is what Argentina have done is they have decided, well, all the rest of our players are shit, but Messi is absolutely amazing. So we're just going to basically, all the team's going to be about getting the best out of him. But it's not played to his strengths, and the rest of the team isn't shit. It's actually quite good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I, I just think Germany have just, it's it's in their hands now. They've got the momentum going in. Yeah, I just, I don't. I don't see how Germany lose it. And to be fair, Germany are probably deserved winners of the World Cup. Yeah, without question. You know, so, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, that's like them or Holland. To be honest, I think Holland overall have played better than Argentina. Um, Argentina, I think, have gotten lucky. But, you know, Mm. I I, I don't think they'll be lucky. uh, I don't think they'll be lucky tonight. Um, uh, Yeah. Cool, right. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how, how wrong we might be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, cool, man. All right. Well, let's uh, let's do some trailers then. So, uh, Mark, kick us off. Um, I watched quite a few. Um, the I thought the, the big trailer that came out um, was the trailer for Exodus. Um, the well, the new uh, Ridley Scott film uh, with Joel Edgerton and Christian Bale, which is the you know the, it's the Moses story, I suppose, isn't it? It's, it's that, it's his biblical epic film, uh, which will have from the director of Gladiator strewn all over it. Um, it looks massive, it looks grand, it looks epic, it looks very much like that world, um, it looks polished, but it, it looks, it, you can, from the trailer anyway, I was very aware watching it going, this looks, it look, it does, it looks impressive and everything. But I can see the the CG in it. I can. I, 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 I'm. It's not transporting me to that world. But then again, it's a two and a half minute trailer. So hopefully the film will do it. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm exactly you know excited to see it, but I, I'll definitely watch it. I'm. I'm actually pretty pumped for it. I must. Oh, yeah. 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 Um. It's going to be like two and a half hours long, and it's coming yeah. out like Boxing Day, and I am up for, on the 27th of December, just taking in an early show of this, mm. uh, and just kind of wallowing in it, um, I, I I don't know, I'm, I'm intrigued by it, Joel Edgerton's look, I've got, yeah. you know, it is probably going to inspire a thousand articles, but that is a bit... Could you not have cast someone maybe just a tiny bit more race appropriate if you're then going to make that actor up to look like that? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is a little bit like that, isn't it? Yeah, and I, it does look... It, it is quite jarring. Yeah, man. I mean, but I mean, it, it's obviously trying to kind of like... Um, uh, brings my like Yul Brynner and kind of get get a kind of an epic feel going on there. I mean, I thought there were some interesting shots, though, and... Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm 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 up for it. I think it sets things up quite nicely. And you know, even though I'm not Christian in any any fucking way, I'm up for seeing this story told by Ridley Scott. Why not? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 bit's gonna be gonna be interesting. Um, what else? I caught there. There was the little um, 
sort of almost viral trailer for Hunger Games uh, Mockingjay Part 1. Um, I, I, I haven't seen the second Hunger Games film yet, so I don't really have a clue what's going on. So I, it kind of went a little bit over my head, that, to be honest. Um, the trailer for the second trailer for Gone Girl, did we talk about that last week? Or? No, we didn't. We were both a little bit... Um, you know, we, we're both quite looking forward to obviously it's a Fincher film. Uh, I think I would say we're both looking forward to Gone Girl. But I, I think we both said when the first trailer came out, it left us a little bit cold yep. and it felt a little, it felt a little bit ITV dramery. Yep. Um, whereas I think this second trailer, although seems to give away an awful lot, uh, it does actually look and feel like a new David Fincher film. Uh, and so I'm, I'm a lot more. I was already pretty excited, but I'm a lot more excited now. It, you know, it, it, it's just nice to know that there's a David Fincher film coming out very soon. This trailer does nothing for me. Still do nothing. Still got nothing. Nothing for me. I I am only looking forward to this because it's a David Fincher film. That is, and I, you know, it, it, I think there's going to be some shit in there that they probably just can't put in the trailer. You know, in, in terms of tone. But I just, yeah, I. If it um, if it wasn't for David Fincher, I would not give a fuck. But it is. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> it so. does, yeah. Um, wow, so I caught um, the trailer for Wild, uh, which I'm sure Ian is really looking forward to. Um, I don't even know what it is. What is this? Uh, wild. Oh God, uh, it's Reese Witherspoon. It is Reese Witherspoon. It is essentially just from what it looks like, it'd be like two hours of watching Reese Witherspoon um, find herself, lose herself, and then find herself. So uh, I expect a dude in a monkey review of that one. Oh. I'm sure. <laughs> um, what else have I got? Um, Road to Paloma, uh, the Jason Momoa film. Um, I think it's written and directed by him, starring him uh, and uh, his, his, his missus, uh, Lisa Bonet. Uh, and it essentially looks like it's about a, a badass biker uh, who's wanted by some guys. Um, it's another WWE film, uh, funded film, but doesn't seem to be pushing the ex-wrestler or anything like that. I know very little about wrestlers, so there might have been loads in it. But it looks like a straight-up kind of gritty revenge uh, action-y thriller. And from the trailer, I watched it and was very much like, yep, yeah, right, all right, that's it. Two and a half minutes, I want to see this film. I was absolutely sold. It looks like a fucking great switch your mind off and just let it go kind of film. I'm very much looking forward to catching that. Uh, and other than that, that's about it that I've caught this week. Um, anything else? I'll just add uh, the trailer for Unbroken. Oh yes, I did catch the trailer for Unbroken actually as well. Yeah, so um, you know Angelina Jolie directed film, um, her second directorial film after the uh, In the Land of Blood and Honey, I think it's called. Which I don't think anyone has ever anyone has ever seen that film, um, and yet there it was. Um, this looks to be going for Oscar, Oscar, Oscar. Um, but, I mean, it's an intriguing story. Uh, I think mm. it comes out on Boxing Day as well. And to be honest, my choice would, would go to Exodus unless reviews tell me otherwise, frankly. It's, um, I don't know, it just looks like inspirational story template number five. 
Yeah, it, it, it really, really does look like that. It's a little bit... Um, I, it looks like it might be one of those films that has a really great central performance um, that's ruined just by Andrew the Jolie seemingly aching for an Oscar for it. Yeah. I mean, it is incredibly Oscar-baity. Um, but... And there's just so, it's just that that inspirational music throughout all of the oh, yeah. um, you know throughout all of the trailer and one man's story and his struggle and he was a a, a champion and then he was a it's like oh do you know what fuck off mm-hmm. is it a good film or not <laughs> yeah that's exactly it man I will wait for reviews yeah and I'm, I'm just I'm I mean I'm surprised she got. You know the the amount of funding she got for this after basically, like you say, her first film. You know it, it costs some money. It costs a decent amount of money, and like you say, nobody's ever seen it. Mm. Uh, it's it's I a bit of shit. It's Angelina Jolie, though. Isn't it? It's written by the Coen Brothers. Mm. I think I don't think it was like originally written by them. I think they did a like a, a pass on the script. Uh, <laughs> so they've, they've, they've tried. Tagging their names on, then we looked at it. <laughs> They've looked at the scripts and gone. Uh, should we change it unbroken? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, let's have a look here. Um, yeah, so there's four credited screenwriters, mm. like those two: Richard Lagravanese and William Nicholson. And I, I'm pretty sure the Coens basically. I can't imagine anyone with like the Coens would write a screenplay and then someone would rewrite it. Yeah. So I'm assuming it's the other way round. Hmm. No We'll wait and see. Like you say, if reviews are overtly good, I might watch it. But like you say, I think we'll probably cover it Exodus that week. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, trailers. That was it. And uh, we shall move on. So here is a clip from Richard Linklater's over a decade in the making, Boyhood, and we shall get into it. There before it gets dark. Goodbye, yard. Goodbye, crate myrtle. Goodbye, mailbox. Goodbye, box of stuff mommy won't let us take with us, but we don't want to throw away. Goodbye, house. I'll never like mommy as much for making us move. Samantha, why don't you say goodbye to that little horseshit attitude, okay? Because we're not taking that in the car. Goodbye, old lady. Listen to rock music and ride the motorcycle. Okay, so Boyhood is directed by Richard Linklater and stars uh, Ella Coltrane, Patricia Arquette, Lorelai Linklater, Ethan Hawke, and uh, a bunch of other people. Uh, is the story of uh, Mason a uh, starts in uh, starts off the film as a six year old boy, ends the film with him just going off to college, um, and it's basically about his life, kind of. Um, there's there's kind of a narrative to it, but it's more just you know that there are through lines, but it's just more watching him grow up and like decide who he wants to be or if he's even going to decide what he wants to be, and you know, and there's kind of a through line as well of his uh, mother played by Patricia Arquette who um, goes through life making bad relationship decisions, and uh, his father played by Ethan Hawke who basically. Uh, learns responsibility or accepts responsibility, and you know it's it's about life, man. Um, so, Mark, Boyhood. Everyone loves Boyhood. 
Yes, every everybody um, does love Boyhood. Uh, it would seem um, my screening was was very full, um, which which was very nice to see. Um, um, I I will add myself into those uh, who um, very much love Boyhood. Uh, it's a even when you take away, um, you know what will what a lot of focus and a lot of praise. Will you know that link later will get uh, for this is uh, based upon the fact that it, it's twelve years in the making and it's the same actors and you know that is it's a brave thing to take on. Um, but what else you get within the film is you get a lot more within it that will that will come to. Um, but yeah, I, I very much like Boyd. I, I like the fact that it is. It's not. Um, 12 years in the life of a boy who's, you know, who has been through hell and has come out of it the other side. It is the life of a boy who, yes, has had a shakier life than, than most would normally have, but it's not a life where, you know, he's had something, you know, all these events that nobody else could possibly have had, you know, as many of them throughout his life. It doesn't go for the, the overdramatic a lot of the time. It just gives you snapshots of the poignant moments in, you know, this this child, you know, growing up from going from being a essentially a, an infant to being a the first step towards him becoming a, a man, an independent man. It's it is a very, very, very good film. Um, however, it, it, it's it's not going to be my favourite film of the year, which isn't to take anything away from it because it will be around that list. Um, but I don't get this isn't a game changer in the history of cinema. It's not. Um, I did myself a disservice this week before watching Boyhood because I rewatched Before Midnight, um, and in comparison to Before Midnight, which I think is as spot-on and perfect for that story, a film as is possible, I very much salute the ambition with Boyhood and like the fact that he got it done. And mm. there's an awful lot of great stuff in Boyhood, but I do think there are also notes that are, that, that, that are a bit flat to me. Um, yeah. and I mean, it, it is unfortunate. Um, I mean, the, the thing is, I, I, I do, I, you know, I do want to join you in praising it, so I'll just try and quickly rattle off my problems, if that's okay. No, absolutely, yeah, you know, um, remember, guys, I mean, we say it all the time, but in yeah. case we are a new listener, we are all spoilers all the time, and I would say that there are some kind of minor spoilers uh, within this. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Go into it because I, I have some minor issues as well. I want to see for the same. Yeah, so um, I think Patricia Arquette starts off quite weak. Um, it's interesting watching an evolution of her acting ability because it is. Yeah, it, it's a it, rare case where you can actually legitimately say as the film goes on they get better because mm. the, the film's filmed over such a long period of time that you could imagine that she does actually get better. And yeah. she does. By the end, Patricia Arquette is fantastic. Her last scene is brilliant. Um, yeah. You know, the, when she when she just says, you know, I, I just thought there'd be more. Yeah. You know, I mean, I and 
frankly, I think I wish the film ended there. Um, it's, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, like the last ten minutes is the last ten minutes of a hundred and sixty-six minute film. But like, I, I I felt him in college and the kind of like the setting up a new relationship thing was unneeded. Um, it, 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 yeah, it would have been. It, it could have ended. 10 minutes earlier I think I, I totally agree there yeah, yeah and um, it started to feel its length a little bit towards that bit yeah I mean to be honest I, I was feeling its length a bit before then um, but I, I think the film does slightly suffer from having one too many scenes of uh, authority figure be it far, like parent figure or teacher giving him shit for not knowing what he wants to be mm. um, I get that that could happen in a kid's life, but you know, I mean, like the, the kind of like the, the the second husband of Patricia Arquette kind of has a moment like that with him, and his teacher has a moment like that with him, and his and the third husband has a moment like that with him as well, and the boss does as well. Yeah, and his boss does exactly. So it does. There, there is a sense of I like, get the message there, and I'm not even saying just cut that out completely. It's just I'm sure there is a bunch of other footage Linklater has here. And I, I, I would have liked to have seen something else, you know, uh, just a, you know, a, a kind of like a remix version of this, I suppose. You know, in the end of the day, I, I get the point, you know, and I, I get, I get the, he, you know, kids don't know what they want to be, you know, some kids have natural ability but just don't quite know how to hone it down and focus, you know. I, I, I think we get that, and I, I think there are times when we are told that a little bit too much. Even though, then again, it could be argued that it's from his point of view, so maybe he feels like he's, it's getting it, it's getting told, like, too much. I, I don't know. It's just as, a, a, as somebody watching a film, that is a criticism I would have of that. Mm. My one last thing is... It tones it down as it goes on, but Link later in his music cues. <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll 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 let you say your bit, and I'll come to an amusing amusing thing in a second. I swear to God, like the first section when he's a six year old, I I think there are like three different music cues, and that section's probably only ten minutes long. Yeah, and it, it just it's a bit all right. I I get it. I, I did at one point say to myself, I bet, when he's high, I bet when he's in high school, a scene open for the Black Keys song. Yeah. In my head. And, and I thought that. And then it did, and I thought, it, it makes sense. It does actually make sense. But yeah, I, I, I can exactly see, it is a little bit like saying, it's this year now. Yeah, which, I mean, it is kind of the point of it. Yeah. But, it, but. It, it's it's like... I already know he's getting older because I can see that he's older and that his hair hair is different or whatever. You know, that, that you do you do have that. Um, it's other cues, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, but I mean, and I, yeah, I just like I I think the um, the the ambition of like I said, I think the ambition of the film is great, but I I, I it's just the fact that there are to me obvious flaws. And it feels, it kind of feels like you're doing it a disservice by kind of pointing that stuff out because of the effort it took. But then, you know, the latest Transformers film took an awful lot of effort and it took a lot of people a shitload of time to to do, like collective man hours wise. 
So, the interesting thing that, that, that I read um, a thing that Ethan Hawke said about it a couple of years ago, um, so before they filmed the the last, because essentially they've been filming it every year, um, and he said that what it essentially is is it's a collection of short films sure. strung together to create one one film that is this boy growing up. And I thought, well, that's a really interesting actual way to, to look at it, I suppose. Uh, and that's, he's, you know, and he's that's the, you know, I've made one short film a year with uh, Rick for the past 11 years, and next year I'll make another one. And you kind of look at it and go, well, that's a really good way to production-wise look at it. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But in the end of the day, it is a film. Yeah. It has been released oh, is, as a film. Is. It hasn't been released as twelve short films, and I, I get, I get that, but I don't think you can use that as as a way of 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 batting against. And I don't think you are, but batting against no. criticisms of the film no, no, because no, the I, film I, is the film. What 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 I found. Um, you know, very interesting. What I'll say, actually, what I was going to say a second ago, was when the film starts, um, I was sat at the end of a row, and had a seat between me, and I had full row of people next to me. When the film actually started, and the, the, the opening song to the film, which I can't remember what it was, Yellow. The guy, it was Yellow, wasn't it? The guy next to me started going and tapping out the drum beat to Yellow on his legs. Really? Yeah, and like not like just kind of like with his hand, you know, just tapping his hand, like actually tapping it, like quite loud That's on his funny. legs. Um, to, to which I, I I did kind of go, don't do that. <laughs> to which he continued, I said, no, 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 just don't do that. And then he stopped, and he went to do it again later <laughs> on when something else came on. And I actually saw it at the corner. And I thought, is this guy fucking serious? And then he kind of he stopped and kind of did it, just but not actually tapping on his legs, just tapped on air, <laughs> and then put his arm and folded his arms. Nice. I thought that was that showed restraint. Well done, Mister. <laughs> um, what, what I did think was uh, very, very interesting within in the film is uh, not only do you see, um, you know, it, it's you know, it, it is interesting seeing these characters, you know, grow. And what you were saying earlier about Shrekwet gets gradually better as the film goes along um, and the same thing can be said for I think um, Ella Coltrane um, and Lorelai Linklater uh-huh. you know she gets a lot better as the film yes, goes yeah. along yeah I mean like she she like the second half of the film she's actually really strong yeah um, and this, the same thing can be said for uh, Ella Coltrane as well you know he's he's not bad in the first bit of it but he's a little bit he, he he's a six, seven, he's a seven eight year old kid you know that's what it is but also, you can see the development of of Linklater as a as a writer and as a filmmaker as well, because those subtle bits gradually change. And he, he you know, there's as the film starts off, whenever you see a car driving, you're essentially you're in the car sure. and you're watching it in the car. And as the film gets along, and maybe as he got a little bit more money or he got a little bit more to do it, he started having these sort of you know, long tracking shots and these obvious, uh, you know, shots shot from above, these aerial shots of, of the cars moving, things like that. And so the production obviously got bigger as maybe a studio started to go, and hang on a minute, he might actually fucking do this. You know, it, it, we've only got a couple of years left. This might actually 
this might actually fucking work. Um, and so you can see that as well. And also, his outlook seems to change. Um, and you, you can see the moments. I mean, he, he, you know, with films like we did The Waking Life and we did The Link Later uh, Marathon, you know, and you have all those kind of that coffee shop um, psychology. And that comes into boyhood as well. There's a lot of that batting around. Um, and, you know, you get that for the last sort of few years of Mason's life until you get to essentially the last year where um, his, his girlfriend essentially just fucking calls him on it. Yeah. And you get the feeling that that's quite a personal thing, probably coming from Linklater himself. Yeah, I mean, that that's, yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there is an idea of whether he, this is like Linklater's voice or whether this is the voice of a 16-year-old kid. And, you know, because mm. some of the stuff he, like, his, that chat he has with her in the car about deleting himself off Facebook and, like, not wanting to be, not just wanting to be on a phone. And it, it, it that, it's just kind of like that, that the typical thing you would hear, a, a, like, a, an awkward teen kind of say. And yeah. it, it just, yeah, I mean, I, I, the thing is, that, that stuff didn't really annoy me, because I was just thinking that's a kid saying that kind of bollocks. Oh, yeah. I think I, I think if I'd have been, I, I did look at this at some point and went, I'd have probably said that. Is it? Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, there's there are universal truths in this. No, without, without question. And it's, it's, it's also... I was glad at how amusing it was mm. and how, you know, there's, there's these little characters that crop up that essentially are a little bit like kind of comic relief uh, characters. Like his, his boss later on uh, is a great comic relief. And there's there are moments where, you know, stuff happens, like when um, Ethan Hawke decides to talk to him about contraception. You know, it, it's a wonderful moment because... You not only, I think, you know, I'm not using this as, well, as a parent, I saw it from this view, but you kind of watch it going, well, I remember that conversation, you know, having that conversation with my uh, dad. And I also, I, I, I'm also kind of dreading having that conversation with my daughter. I'm kind of in the middle of that at the moment, where I'm still, I'm still young enough to remember having that awkward conversation, and I'm not quite old enough to be having that conversation with my daughter quite yet. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, I kind of like think back and remember not having that conversation with my dad. Like, it, it wasn't uh, my, you know, my parents split up when I was about eleven. ish you know, yeah, he, he, he wasn't around for a, a, good, a good chunk of time, uh, time really, for various reasons. So it's like it, it but and yet it still. That still felt felt real to me, like the the way mm. that Ethan Hawke's character kind of goes about that. I mean, like he, the evolution of his character is is fascinating. Yeah, like, it, it is. Yeah, the, the the way that you know he 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 starts off like living with that that friend of his, Jimmy, I think his name is. You know, and mm. and, and, and and the the way like it just cuts. And then suddenly he's got a kid and he's got a wife, and it's like you haven't seen him for a couple of years. Mm. In the film, and, and yet no one mentions our dad, you know, about our dad's getting remarried or whatever. These these things just like boom happen, you know. Yeah. And it's like the, 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 that's one of the things I really that's one of the things I really like about the film. But then also I think it lets the side down sometimes as well as the way that it, it does like pick up on these things and, and and then kind of drops them straight away. But then there are, there are other things. I mean, particularly like characters where and, and towards the back end of the film as well, where it does just kind of feel like 
And hey, remember this person from earlier on? There's one moment that re- actually actively annoyed me where Lorelai Linklater says to that little girl, like, wow, I barely recognised you. And I, I, like, I just bet. And it, like, that, that was the little girl who was kind of singing in the kitchen yeah. earlier on in the film. And it's just like, I fucking bet she actually said that in real life. And Richard yeah. was just like, let's put that in. Yeah, you know, and yeah, I, I, I bet that was actually yeah. I I would one hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, it, it does seem to bringing does, these people back. It just it's a little bit. Do we really have to do that when, like, for instance, you know, after she uh, uh, after Patricia Arquette takes them away, bang, you never even never hear about, hear about them, them again. Yeah. Well, it's a bit like well, they lived with them for a most significant chunk of their childhoods. You know, they get, you know, everyone gets together when he's, when he's maybe, what, eight? And he's in his early teens when they split up. So you're talking about a good, this is over 12 years. You're talking about maybe, I would say, five years of that, I think. that much. I would say it's about sort of four or five years, certainly, yeah. Right, uh, I mean, like, well, they, they meet, and then the next time, I think they just come back off honeymoon, and yeah. there's like a couple of years where he's kind of drinking and whatnot, but there's worse, yeah. yeah, there's not that much, and then there's like, yeah, actually, it could be, it could have been five years, yeah, yeah. and and you know, that's that's like what forty percent of the actual fucking sure. of his childhood, and then those, like you say, they're essentially step brother and sister who called Patricia Arquette mom, yeah. Um, and never mentioned at all, you know. There's not we got our, we got them out of it or anything like that, you know. It's just well called Charles Denson. But I mean that that kind of feels like life though. I mean, like, there's that one tracking shot where um, Ella Coltrane's talking to that girl, and it, it, it's just like following them. They're kind of walking towards the screen. It's just after they've moved to that small town, yeah. and you know, like they're, they're talking about like they're just having a chat with each other and then uh, that girl's just never really brought up again mm. or the girl that she's talking and she tells him about at the end you know and yeah. it's like I like like things like that that are just like little slices of life but then the, the film kind of feels the need to do callbacks and it kind of feels like they just got a bit emotional at the end thinking we've been doing this for 12 years let's bring some people back yeah, almost like let's have a let, let's have a rap party. Yeah, and, and it's still the rap party. And I, yeah, I just that didn't really ring true to me. Like the fact that just the fact that that little girl and the mum were at his graduation party. It just it doesn't. I don't. It just doesn't quite work work for me. I, I don't know. It. Yeah, I I I don't know. It just. There's an awful, awful lot of really, really great stuff in here, but there mm. is a fair bit of stuff about this film that does niggle at me. Yeah, but the second, well, the third, certainly, husband, that whole sort of arc. May as well not there. be there, man. Like, it, yeah. it just. It, 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 I, I, I don't understand why he became a drunk. No, I mean, like, there's that one year where it's when Ethan Hawke takes him off camping and Ethan Hawke's talking to him about the place and it's just mm. they're all happy. And then the next year he's got a beer and he's a little bit surly. And then the next year he's a, like a flat... He, he kind of chews him out. Yeah. And then the next year he's gone. Gone. It, yeah, it's just, yeah. Gone. Again, it just... I mean, it, it, it's interesting because a lot of the film isn't Mason's film. It's the mum's film, which is really interesting. 
but well, yeah, there's it, not it, it, quite enough of that to kind of make a lot of that stuff feel like it's legitimately there. Yeah, like, it, it, it'd be fun. It, 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 what would be fun is, is, is if we filmed three films at the same time <laughs> and almost did three from each point of view. Um, but yeah, it, it, it does feel a little bit like, like that. But there's also kind of like a thread, I suppose, in that, you know, she, obviously her and um, Mason Senior... You know, this, it basically said, "Look, the reason why we split up was because I wasn't the the guy. I, I was I was too immature, yeah. and I wanted to be. You know, I was in a band, and you know, I and I I didn't I wasn't didn't have the the wherewithal to become a father. And so, Michelle's character goes chasing these these better father figures that just end up being more fucked up than than the kid's actual father is." Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Once he grows up, he seems like a really responsible dad. Yeah, one of one of my uh, favorite scenes in the entire film is um, when he's picked them up from uh, the house um, just after the stepdad, the drunk stepdad, chewed him out about not doing their chart. Yeah, and he's picked them up and he's in the car and he's saying, you know, what have you done? And they're giving him just like stock answers. Yeah, and he's like yeah. she stops and says, no, I want you to actually be honest. And then one of them says, "Have you got a girlfriend?" And he's like, "Oh, I see what you do. I see what you're doing." Yeah, with that. that's a great. Question actually, that maybe we'll just let this happen a bit more. I got and, and that is a wonderful little scene of you know because I have a, a a somewhat fractured relationship with my dad. My dad's a great guy, but between myself and my dad, we have somewhat a, a tentative relationship. And then when we see each other, it's how do you mean? Yeah, all right. You? Yeah, that's either. But that is it. And it might have been three months. And loads might have happened. But that'll be it. Mm. And then and then it'll be... So you think about Swire's leaving then? And then that's it. We'll talk for ages about that. Yeah. And, and you know, that that's that's the way it'll go. But that, it is just... it. There were so many points in it where you kind of... You don't go, yes, that was me, that was me. But you do you do recognise those moments in, in growing up. Yeah, I mean that, that's yeah, that's exactly it. Or like the moments that you don't recognise, they just feel like they ring true. It, it's mm. yeah, I mean that, that that that's it. I mean like I I remember my dad taking me to like a, a pub and like playing pool with him and stuff like that. It's the equivalent of like the bowling alley stuff, you know. It's it that's it, it that's it, it's that kind of thing. It, it just it it all feel that that stuff just feels like it connects and. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, Ella, Ella Coltrane is is fantastic, and I think Laura Lee Linklater is better actually. But um, yeah. you know, I it, 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 I I think Coltrane is still very good. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of tempted to wrap it up really because I don't have that much more to say about it, it, which I, yeah. I feel kind of bad about because it's like 12 years in the making and we've talked for about 20 minutes. But um, I mean, def- you know, definitely not shit. Definitely not shit. Um, but it won't be touching my top ten of the year either, and I mean, I'm you know I'm I'm all right with that, and I'm more all power to people who really really did connect with this film and fall in love with this film that you know a, a lot of people have, and that's that's great. I wish I felt like that. Yeah, uh, it's definitely definitely not shit for me as well. Um, I think you know I. I... I'll be very surprised if it's not troubling uh, my top ten. Um, and I'll, I'll say it, it's, it's been a film I've been very much looking forward to for about the past sort of 
five or six years um, for it. So it, it was good to go into it and to to really, really enjoy it. And not only that, to see a cinema screen full of people who all seemed to really enjoy it. That was was really nice I, to see. I, well. had, I had a walk, two people walked out about 25 minutes in, and it was just like, what the fuck were you expecting? Yeah, Have you just really? not... I mean, the tra- I mean, it's fair play. The trailer is basically telling you what the film is. The marketing is not misleading about this film. You know, I, I, I don't know. It, that was very weird. But I, I will say, maybe on home viewing, it might it might sit better for me, uh, I, I, I will say. Because, I mean, like, the, the I, I rewatched The Grand Budapest Hotel uh, this week, and that sat a lot better with me second time round, and I already liked it, but now it's like could be top ten. So I, you know, I, I suppose I reserve the, the the right on Boyhood that maybe the second time it will work better for me. Uh, but as it is, you know, it's it's a strong recommend regardless. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, cool. So uh, let's have a couple of promos, and then. Uh, you're going to hear a clip from the trailer for Tim Burton's 2001 remake of Planet of the Apes, and we'll get into that. One day they'll tell a story, and some will say it was just a fairy tale about a human who came from the stars and changed our world. Folks, so it's the first part of the last part of uh, Ian and Mark Frother and shit at each other as we take a look at Tim Burton's remake of Planet of the Apes uh, from 2001, starring uh, Mark Wahlberg, Tim Roth, Helena Bonham Carter, Chris Christopherson, Michael Clark Duncan, F. Murray Abraham, Estella Warren, and 
many others. Um, story here is uh, different from the uh, the original film. Um, and sorry about that, my Avast virus database just updated a very loud voice just told me in my earphone, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, Mark Wahlberg plays an astronaut, um, well, he says he's from the US Air Force, but he's an astronaut, uh, 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 Leo Davison, who... Uh, who uh, has a monkey sent out to space to explore something, and he's not very happy about it, and then the monkey goes missing, and he goes to try and find the monkey, and ends up going through a wormhole and ending up on a planet of apes, essentially. Um, Humans are there, they talk in this one, and yeah. uh, the apes, kind of led by General Fade, by played by Tim Roth, don't take too kindly to uh, Leo's uh, introduction to their world. So, uh, this comes... I think the film that Bernard did previously was Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. And uh, am I right in thinking this was his first with Helena Bonham Carter? It was indeed. This was the this was the film they they met on, and the rest is a shitty CGI history. Yes, exactly. And um, yeah, okay. Uh, Mark Burton's Planet of the Apes. Well, it, it's a strange one. The, the the remake of the Planet of the Apes was you know was being totted about for um, for a number of years uh, since sort of like the late eighties. Uh, they were looking to remake it. Um, and then you know Burton Burton got involved. Uh, there are a number of reasons to, to remake a film, uh, but the key ones um, are familiarity of the brand, um, which is obviously one that, that often comes in, uh, and then the there's the other one where you, um, for instance, something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something like that, they're the familiarity to the brand. Uh, the other ones is you've got a film that wasn't that great and you want but it's a good story and you want to remake it and therefore make it better but the thing is The Planet of the Apes was a really fucking good film and Burton seems to have thought that he he's watched Planet of the Apes and gone do you know what I, I, I can make a better Planet of the Apes film than that and then he delivered this which is just for the vast majority of its two hour runtime, is just fucking awful um, its story makes fucking little sense at all. Um, it has none of the the sensibility, none of the compassion, or anything of the the first one. Uh, none of the intrigue or anything like that. It, it none of the intelligence. It is just a collection of stupid bollocks <laughs> strung together and called a Planet of the Apes fucking movie. For a start off, chiefly being that Leo Davidson is a pilot who is aboard a spaceship, right? And he gets mocked by his family sending a message saying, have you actually got to fly yet? He then gives his senior commander shit about the fact that he wants to fly. Then we see him fly twice in the film and he fucking crashes both times. The fucking monkey landed, sorry, the ape monkey, whatever it was, landed the fucking thing fine, and he flew once. The landing gear was fucked the second time round, mind. But he still fucking crashed it. He still crashed it in a world that actually doesn't make sense as well. Yeah, no, that no, no, is totally that. Um, it, right, the, the humans can talk, which is like, oh, of course they can talk. 
there's loads of weird bits of look at look at they're doing they're doing things like humans do. That weird fucking sex dance is fucking creepy. Also, a bit of bestiality going on. It's all a bit fucking weird, and it is just painful to watch having watched the other films so recently as well. But we'll, we'll, we'll wow. get more into it. <laughs> uh, it. It was. It is just. I watched this in the cinema. I was not looking forward to watching this because it being crap. I do have a couple of positives, but I'll come to them later on. Um, but I don't remember it being quite this bad. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's a bad film, uh, but I don't know. It. I didn't have the worst time watching it. I will. I, I mean, I'll say that. I think there are positives to this. It just the the, the thing is the, the the bad points of the film are anti good. They are literally the diametric opposite of good. The mm. bad points here. To be fair, chief among them, the human cast. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, like, who are all brutal. They are all yeah. terrible. Um, I mean, Estella Warren, literally, it kind of seems like the studio saw a cut of the, of the first film that didn't, of the film that didn't have her in it at all, and maybe had an extra scene or two of, of Wahlberg and Helena Bonham Carter getting up to some monkey business. Mm. And it's like they were just like, nope, you can't have that. And they literally just cast Estella Warren and just filmed her with, like, a Mark Wahlberg stand-in, doing some lines for, like, a day, and then just kind of, like, copied and pasted it her into the shots. It's like, yeah. her character makes no effect on the plot whatsoever. She makes no difference, and she doesn't even have that much of a, an effect on Mark Wahlberg. No, it, it, is, it is a little bit, like... At the end of it, when he's got like, the big emotional going, he kind of does that that little thought thing with Helen Bonham Carter, then turns around and goes, "Oh shit, I forgot about her. Oh, I'll go and throw a bone and say bye." Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, and, it's exactly that though. I mean, it just there's nothing to that character. I mean, it's it's really. I mean, it's really bad. It's really bad. That is. And I mean, Chris yeah. Christopherson's character. I mean, like he's there and then he's gone in about he's five minutes. Dead. Yeah. Um, um, and then I mean, you've got Mark Wahlberg, who literally. I mean, I I don't hate Mark Wahlberg, but he doesn't do himself any favors when he does stuff like this. He's got one facial expression for the entire film, which is a bit confused. That's yeah. that is it. Right, well, while we're on that, right, the, the confused bit, and I, I'm just going to throw something in there that is sort of on topic, but slightly off topic. Does he ever find out that it's Earth? It's not Earth. It's not Earth? No. Is it not? No. It, it's actually a different planet? Yeah. Oh, well, that can go fuck itself, then. Yeah. Even more. Yeah. No. I, 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 that is how much they're probably paying to it. <laughs> no. it yeah, it's I mean, not. It's a, different, it, it's a different planet, and the only... The only explanation I have for the ending being what it is, because he is back on Earth then, is somehow, despite the fact that Fade looked dead, and there was no other working ship... Did he look dead? No, I, I don't think he was dead at the end. He was just hiding. Oh, it, wait, he was hiding, was he? Yeah, oh. hiding, yeah. Because well, yeah, he's moving. But there's still no ship. So, how has he got another ship? Because Mark Wahlberg blew that one ship, that one crashed ship up. Mm. And he took the one that the monkey came in. Yeah. 
so then somehow he's somehow made a ship somehow and has then managed to go back way further and has then led some sort of ape uprising which has then led to a planet of the apes but where the apes basically all do the PG tips advert yeah yeah that essentially is is, is it it's fucking hell yeah it just it doesn't make sense yeah I mean so I, that's the, I mean, Mark Wahlberg is terrible. And he's also really ineffectual. He doesn't... It's just his presence there is enough to set events going. It, it, it literally, it's like... It's like, watch out this one. He's feisty. Why? Because he grabbed your foot in fear. That makes him feisty. The rest of them were running about like motherfuckers. And running away from you and getting, you know, kind of like that. He seems to just run out in blind panic and then at one point put his arm on your leg and that makes him feisty and that pisses off Faye. And yeah, he can talk but so can all the other ones. Yeah, there's no big <gasps> moment because he can talk because they can all fucking talk. That's the, I'd forgotten the other people talked. I had as well and then one of them spot I thought, oh uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that now, fuck. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't know. It, so, there's that. But, but, but. The makeup effects are pretty great. They are, yeah. I, I, won't, I won't disagree with that. You know, even though there are some characters where it basically looks like they did half a day's work on them and somewhere it looks like they did a day's work on them. Like, F. Murray Abraham kind of looks like F. Murray Abraham with a monkey <laughs> mask on. And Paul Giamatti kind of looks like that as well. But then you've got... Paul Gio- why, why is Paul Giamatti the Grinch? There is that as well. That's a very good point. He's the Grinch. Just a year after it. But then you've got Tim Roth, who looks amazing. Oh, he, he, he's one of the, the actual standout bits of the film. Tim, the, the thing is, I actually think the ape performances are all, all right. I mean, Paul Giamatti's comedic performance, whatever... But Helen of Von Carter, I think, is fine. I think she's terrible. Fair, fair enough. I, I just, like, I don't know. I thought she was all right. But, I mean, Tim Roth. And Michael Clark Duncan is basically playing Michael Clark Duncan. But it's... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which, 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 I think, I remember reading about it uh, when I was doing a bit of sort of research before the film was that Michael Clark Duncan got wind that uh, Burton wanted him for the film. Yeah, yeah. And I he joked to people that, I bet it's fair gorilla. Yeah. And it turned out it was. Yeah. <laughs> Which it does kind of make sense because he was a huge human. So. You are going to cast Michael Clark Duncan as a gorilla. It's just going yeah. to happen. But then, yeah, I mean, Tim Roth, who I love the fact that he is not evil. You know, he has got emotions to him. Like, he genuinely does seem to love his dad. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know. I... I it kind of feels like if there was a sequel that you might actually get some more going on with his character. Um, but, I mean, I, I think he's great. The kind of, like, the, the, when he has his rages, I think he's fantastic. And, like, the yeah. snarls that he does. And just the voice he puts on as well. I mean, it is a really, really creepy character. Yeah, and that, 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 that kind of constant look of, I am going to fuck you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's literally everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 amazing. It's slightly undone in the end when it is basically him jumping around in a in a sealed off room, shooting a gun and making noises. Yeah, that 
it doesn't feel like the ending that character maybe should have had. No, like, you get the feeling that he'd have had a more a more dignified than, than bouncing around going essentially shouting let me out yeah, is essentially what he's doing. Yeah, essentially going ape shit. Yeah, you know. he, he'd more sit down and go, I will find a way out of there and I'll fuck you all up. Mm. That, that's it. I'm just going to wait till you've gone so there's a bit of surprise. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, like the first the first two thirds of the film are basically Tim Burton having fun with, like, oh, look, it's what humans do except it's monkeys. You know, it's like there are uh, there are kid gorilla uh, chimpanzees playing basketball. And, yeah. you know, and, and, I don't know, just stupid shit like that. Um, and they'll be, like, talking about, like, human rights and things like that. It, it, that, that dinner table speech is a very, it's a very, very cursory kind of glance to the kind of, like, social politics thing of it. But, I mean, it just, you know, Mark Wahlberg's character is supposed to be, like, starting an uprising here, and it, it barely feels like he, he could he could summon a fart in an elevator. He, he, he looks like he, like, he, he so much doesn't give a shit that he, he, he that it makes it seem like he gives a shit. Yeah, it's like, it's weird. Yeah. That's all I want to kind of say to him. Oh, I'm not leaving that my family. And he's like, all right. It's like, hang on a minute. You need to get back to your ship that desperately, but you're going to go and say, you don't, how big is her family? Where is it? You, you don't just want to get off. But then he doesn't just come across as being like a nice guy. It's just that he seems like the kind of guy who's never, ever said no to anything. Mm. He's always just gone, I am. Yeah, all right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know. And do you know what? I... I will almost, I will guarantee it, this is, this is what started, uh, Mike, uh, from Jim's Rockers, uh, hatred of, of Mark Wahlberg. Because he's a, you know, as we had him on the show earlier in the, the series, he's a very big fan of the, the Apes universe. And I, I can kind of see from this where he developed a severe distaste for Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a weird role for Mark Wahlberg to take. Yeah. Like it, it, this is not an action hero role. Like this, this film, he's not an action hero. He's just a guy. It, yeah, it, it, it's it is strange. And when you think the the, the 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 film that he gave up for this and the role that he gave oh, up yeah. for this, uh, which was Matt um, Damon's role in Ocean's Eleven, and he did this instead. I mean, Chris Tim Roth could have been Snape in the Harry Potter films. Mm. And, I mean, like, I, Alan Rickman, I think, is actually really great in the Harry Potter films, but that would have been an interesting alternate universe. It would have been a lot more fucking sinister, I can tell you that. Yeah, but, yeah, kind of not in a kind of theatrical way either, just in a very kind of studied actor way. I, yeah, I mean, it, that would have been interesting. I don't know, it's just like, and what, what would Tim Burton have done if this hadn't come along? It just... It feels like a bad detour for all involved, apart from Rick Baker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's just not a very good film. No, I mean it's it's not. But I mean, I don't, I don't hate it with a burning passion, like it sounds like you do. I like there are little moments of it that I think are interesting. I think some of, some of the production design is quite nice, um, and I think I, I, I admire Tim Roth's um, ability to go fucking full full ball into his role, and you know that 
it, that is a much more interesting character than any of the rest of them in the entire film. But it was just so boring. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the length doesn't help as well. It's going on for two hours long, and it, I, it just, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's I, I definitely shit. Definitely shit. You know, without a shadow of a doubt, it's the worst of the eight films we've watched yes. by a mile. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, to be fair, considerably, um, and also, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it. Um, you know, very soon, very shortly in the show. But I did actually watch this post um, rise. Of the Planet of the Apes, and so going from that to this uh, yeah, to show yeah. a significant difference, because there's the one thing that this film doesn't have that a lot of the other films have is there's no there's no sympathy to anything in this film. The apes have become have become power hungry twats who are doing things to be self serving. There seems to be that kind of intimation from a political standpoint. And then none of the human characters are developed enough to have any empathy at all. Well, yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, that, that's it. I mean, the film doesn't, in a way, it doesn't really know what it wants to be because there aren't enough action beats for it to be an action film. I mean, like, the, the bit where they go to get her family, um, Estella mm. Warren's family... It's basically as if they're just running through an apartment building of apes yeah. where all the doors are unlocked. It is a little bit like, which characters have we seen so far? Oh, we've seen this character, this character, this character. Let's run through their rooms. Yeah. Uh, it just, which is... It's like the worst. And, uh, like, the, the two times they actually have to sort of be stealth-like and get out of somewhere, what do they do instead? Oh, there's a big camp of apes down there. I mean, we should just steal these horses and just go around because there's loads of fucking room over that side of that hill or the other side of that hill. No, we're going to go straight fucking through it because then that way they know which way we're fucking going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and then that other one, well, we can't, well, we've got to get to this bit. Oh, well, how do we get there? Well, we can go, we can go straight through all this. Let's do that. Oh, we can do, let's do that. Let's yeah, go straight yeah. through. It, it, it just, it's just fucking stupid. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And we'll talk about a film later on that follows the series that isn't just fucking stupid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's Burton's Planet of the Apes, a film I doubt I'll ever watch again, but hey. And I, I certainly won't. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, so, right, uh, we're going to actually go into the future now because we're going to um, stop recording for today. So uh, when we get back... As long as we remember to, when we next record on Wednesday, we'll uh, discuss the World Cup final and uh, marvel at how Argentina managed to beat Germany 7-1. Yes. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really it's not visually striking. No. I'm just, just getting confirmation. It's just thinking that's the third time though. I mean, I must, is this on? You can find us at csvsp.libson.com. 
So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He, he wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep, keep a secret. Cynthia, so glad you're home. I have some very exciting news. Well, I have some news for you too, Jonathan. Me first. I've just discovered a great podcast called Mail Order Zombie, and it's hosted by a married couple just like us. Um, yeah. Speaking of that, I had a meeting with the lawyer today, and... It's mainly about direct-to-DVD zombie movies, but the show covers a whole range of zombie culture. Games, books, plays, comics, you name it. Mm-hmm. Well, as you know, I've been spending a lot of time with my massage therapist, Rodrigo. Is he into post-apocalyptic novels, films? and TV shows because if he is, you should let him know that those things are all covered on Mail Order Zombie 2. I have taken the liberty of putting your belongings in these garbage bags over here. I hope you remember to pack my MP3 player because I'd sure hate to miss the next episode of Mail Order Zombie. You can find it online at mailorderzombie.com or just look for Mail Order Zombie in the iTunes store and it's all free. Yes, free. Like I hope to be very soon. So what is it you wanted to say to me, Cynthia? You're an idiot. Oh, I love you too. Okay then, guys, so um, that was some promos from shows that we like, and it is time for some one old, one new, and uh, Mark, why don't you start us off, sir? Uh, cool, I'm going to start off with my uh, my one old, uh, which I actually, I only watched, uh, I watched part of it last night, and I watched part of it this, this morning. Um, it is a 2011 film, it's uh, Alexander Payne's uh, The Descendants, which I remember sort of liking upon release, but kind of, you know, one of those films where I liked it, but I pretty much instantly forgot kind of what happened. I know some of the general storyline, but I thought there's no sort of scene that stood out for me or anything like that. It just kind of, I enjoyed it when I watched it, and then it kind of went out of my my memory from there afterwards. But I've sort of flicked past it every now and again on Amazon Prime and thought, I, I want to give that another go and just kind of see... See where it sits with me a couple of years later. That uh, that was a film for me where sorry to interrupt where no, no, no. where I literally just I I got annoyed I I watched it and I enjoyed it but I resented it for the fact that it felt like you had to like it it was just like one of the films you had to like that year yeah and it, and it, it pissed was. me off yeah it, 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 it had that kind of thing because it got nominated and it won uh, a number of awards. Yeah. Uh, but it, I, I do remember at the time thinking, well, it was it, it, it was good. I mean, it got nominated for Best Picture, Actor, Director, Editing, and Adapted Screenplay, and won for Adapted Screenplay. But I do remember at the time thinking, well, it, it's good, but it's a bit, it's a little bit like that the American Hustle thing, where it kind of got nominated, or it seemed to have got nominated because of of who made it and who was in it rather than it actually being, you know, a truly worthy film. Um, so, uh, for those people who don't know, I think a lot of people have seen it, uh, The Descendants uh, stars George Clooney plays uh, Matt King, who is, he's based in Honolulu, uh, Hawaii, and um, he's he's an attorney, uh, but also he's a, a trustee of an estate, um, the trust that has been left to him by his family, and there's a load of cousins, and every literally everyone he seems to meet seems to be a cousin. There seems to be a lot of these cousins around, and they're in the sort of final throes of selling off the last remaining kind of bit of land they've been left uh, for 
a hugely significant amount of money uh, that will make all of them, they're already supposed to have been, be very rich or have had been very rich and a lot of them seem to have lost the money so they're very much wanting to get the best price whereas Clooney's character uh, obviously being played by George Clooney was very sensible and didn't uh, lose all of his money uh, and lives not a modest uh, lifestyle but doesn't kind of spend his wealth uh, it seems uh, as much as he could um, but what he's also dealing with is the fact that his wife uh, was involved in a boating accident and is in a coma and he's just found out that not only is she not going to awake from the coma the fact that she's also been having an affair um, so he has to deal with his two kids who he admits really that he's barely spent any time with um, and doesn't really know how to look after him because he's the he's the secondary parent rather than the primary parent uh, and so everything's a little bit strange and he's been caught up in all these these emotions and it, it's a strange with the descendants because it's it, it's one of those films where it, it's a good film you know there's no the storyline is is good uh, the acting is all good um, and the you know the direction is is good but it never seems to go beyond just being good it, it very much it, it's there it happens and for the just of the two hours that it's going along it's it's involving and it's in a way it's enjoyable there are little little funny moments but that's all fine on the first watch and on the second watch and I will admit I, I still kind of enjoyed it and I still I still say that it's a it's a good film but it was only on the second watch that I started to realise that almost every character in this film is essentially a, a bad person you know they they it's all about faults there's only the faults are what are being shown and are what we're being introduced to where but we're being asked to examine it's it's never really the overriding good points you know we're supposed to feel sympathy for Clooney's character Matt because his wife's dying um, and his kids are essentially arseholes um, but you kind of don't because every other character in the film is pointing out the fact that Matt himself before the point where we become introduced to him is just a workaholic who has basically just kind of let his wife get on with life without him and is essentially hoarding this this huge fortune that he's got from her, rather than actually having either himself enjoy it or or her enjoy it. Um, and then you've got the kids. His eldest daughter uh, has been shipped off to a boarding school because she clearly got involved in drink, drugs, uh, and underage stuff that she probably wasn't supposed to be involved in. And so she's a bit of an arsehole. His parent-in-laws are arsehole. The friends that he's got are arseholes. And it just, it kind of feels a little bit mean to show just all the bad points about these people. I th- and no, I think, I think that's why... I've connected with Nebraska the most out of any of his films because, frankly, it's the warmest. Yeah, um, it's, it's, I mean, I, I, I'm a, I, I would say I'm a fan of, of, of Alexander Payne's um, 
work. Um, I was playing Nebraska. I wasn't the biggest fan of you, but I still, I still like Nebraska. And I, I actually going back in my mind, I think as time's gone on, I've actually sort of thought I really would like to watch Nebraska again because it's a really, it's a nice kind of film. The thing is, it's um, got a bit of bite to it. It's got an acidic yeah. edge to it. But it's because that's the thing. I think I think you're bang on there with the problem with the Descendants. It's like no one's really that nice, and I mean the little kids, all right, and Shailene Woodley's yeah. all right, but uh, to an extent, even she's got a lot of character flaws. But it's just the fact that the humour of the film is derived from essentially George Clooney kind of mugging a little bit, and yeah. and not from him. Actually, being being a warm character, having these interactions, whereas somebody like Woody in Nebraska Bruce Dern's character, he he, he does have that kind of vinegar to him, but at the same time, he he is kind of a gentle soul, and you want to see him succeed. You're not that. I think I think you might not like not like George Clooney's character in The Descendants, but I think it's hard to be more than apathetic towards him. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's one of those where there's there's a big air that that he's he's almost there's, there's a lot of martyrishness to it. Sure, like, sure. Oh, I don't like the fact that I got left all of this money and all of this, and it's like, yeah, but all of the choices that you've made throughout your life are because you seem to know that you have that to fall back on. So it's kind of like. You want to say all this, but you still drink at the essentially the Hawaii version of country club, and you still kind of have all that, and, and you've always got this cushion of life uh, standing behind you. You can afford to be a workaholic, not because you need to work, but because it, it's almost a martyrish indulgence of going well, you know. Yes, I was born with scores put in my mouth, but look how hard my life is. And it, it's kind of a little bit like that. I think the, the only... I mean, I outright... Um, um, the, I don't appear to come sideways. When I first watched that, I outright despised it. And for a lot of the similar ways from what you said that you that you had issues uh, with The Descendant when you first watched it, is the fact that everybody, when Sideways came out, was going about how amazing it was. And I went to see it and was left quite cold by it. But as I've watched it a few times over the years, I actually I, I quite enjoy Sideways now. I still don't think it's the masterpiece that, that a lot of people try and pretend it is. But I, I do think it's a good film. But still my favourite of, of Alexander Payne's works is Election. I, I, it's a wonderful film. Um, but, yeah, The Descendants, it, it, it's a funny one. I Like I say, I, I did enjoy my rewatch. And I think it, it's a... It's a it's an easy film to spend time with, but I, it is one of those films that I think happened, got a lot of praise, got a significant amount of critical critical praise, won awards, and has almost kind of disappeared now. And no one talks about it. No one talks, no one talks about, about the Descendants. You know, in in twenty nineteen, when people are making a list of the films of the the teenies or whatever we're calling this decade. No one's going to have The Descendants in their top um, 10 or 20 films of that decade. Yet, it it was one of the early celebrated films of this decade. It's it's a really sort of strange film. Um, I I, I don't dislike, but 
I just, I still find it a confusing film of, of how it managed to get so, I mean, I'm just looking, it was, it was the Hollywood Reporter, the Los Angeles Times, the New York Post, the New York Times, uh, it was all their number one film of 2011, and it just astonishes me that there were better films uh, out that year um, that could have won that award, that that, that kind of that, that award, such but that that accolade. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, so, yeah. I, I think the American Hustle comparison is a good comparison as well. It kind of feels like give it a few years and no one's going to be talking about American Hustle. And I liked, I actually liked American Hustle. I think more than a lot of the internet. Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, it just it, I mean, it kind I, of I, just I, feels like it's going to disappear into the ether a little bit. I mean, I actually, I mean, to be honest, I think I actually reviewed uh, The Descendants for To Watch Pal um, in 2001. Oh, there you go. So I'll have a quick look and see um, what I gave it uh, out of five or ten or whatever I gave it. If I can spell Clooney, it'll actually search for it. Uh, right, I mean, I'll let you get on with, with your... Oh, actually, wait a minute now. Here I am. I'm here with the Descendants. Let's have a look, see what I gave it. Um, so I gave it 7 out of 10. Uh, That's about right. Yeah. 7 out yeah. of 10, I'd say it's pretty spot on, actually. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm still quite happy with that. So... Go on then, do you want to hit us with your one old or one year? Yeah, I will just say as well, I did mention this before we started recording, but I don't want anyone thinking I'm a really, really fat fuck. We recorded <laughs> the first half of the show on Sunday, and I had to kind of eat my dinner through the show on Sunday. I'm actually kind of having to eat my dinner through the show today as well. So <laughs> we are not recording on the same day. I am not being a fatty, fatty boom boom. He's not eating his second dinner or just a continuation of one very large dinner. No, even though they are both pasta. I had, uh, I had like uh, spaghetti and chicken on Sunday and I'm having tortellini now. So, But I'm, I'm, I hope I'm kind of muting the mic as and when and hopefully you don't hear it that much. But just to say, yeah, I'm sure we're going to get some fucking <laughs> tweets about this as well, but never mind. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I'll, uh, I'll do my one new first. So, um, yeah, I watched yesterday uh, a, a film that uh, comes out on Blu-ray and DVD next week in the UK, but is actually available um, on digital HD now. So, you know, I was saying last week, you know, digital's the way forward and it is available to buy in HD digitally now. Need for speed. Can I say something on that pretty quickly? Um, Skystar are offering the opportunity um, to basically the same as like you were saying with Google Play. Uh, you can buy a, a HD copy of a film and it will store it. Uh, Sky Store will store it for you. So you own the copy of it. But do you know what else you get with Oh, the DVD. They send you a DVD copy. If they upgraded that to the Blu-ray copy of that, which I'm sure will happen within the next 12 to 18 months, um, once they upgrade that to the Blu-ray copy, I could see that being the way that I purchase sort of things online because they they actually have uh, the film that needs to speed. Um, I, I, you could have bought it and then next week you'll get to the DVD. It's a really that's a really sort of clever idea. Yeah, I mean, I will say 
I'm a week into the whole. This is a slight tangent. I'm a week into the whole um, digital life, and I've got to say, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Like, because the thing is with Google Play. I can start watching a film, because the, the, the way I watch films is I, I, I kind of have to break it up most of the time. Not all the time, but a lot of the mm. time. So I can start watching something on my TV, and then I can download it onto my tablet. And then I can watch it on my tablet, even if I don't have a data connection, I believe. Anyway, I haven't tested this yet, because yeah. I've only done it with a, with a data connection, but... I can what I can download yeah, it onto my phone, sure and because my phone is associated to my Gmail account, I mean my phone's a Nexus anyway, so it's all Google. It will pick up where I left off watching it on the TV, and then if I stop watching it on the phone, then I start watching it on the TV again. It will pick up from there again. That's it's great. That 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 ability of, of how you watch stuff, how we can watch stuff now, is just incredible. That shit is rad. You know, that's mm. awesome. And the thing is, like, with my Chromecast, if I want to watch something upstairs, I don't have to move my Blu-ray player upstairs. I just take the fucking dongle, stick it in the TV upstairs, and there you go. And then I, I mean, just and then I just beam it over. You know, it, it's... I, I'm, I'm really, really into it. But the thing is, I'm coming from a position where I don't have time to watch extras. So I, yeah. I think that's a huge part of it. And also, I've got to say, I've got Skyfall on Google Play. I was watching a bit of that earlier on. The 5.1 surround is absolutely fine. And the HD, I could barely tell the difference from that on a Blu-ray. There is a difference. Nice. But I can barely tell the difference. And do you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm getting myself a bit sold on it, despite everything I've been saying over the years. So, <laughs> But hey, you know, I've got a kid... The, the, the portability, the fact that I can I can watch stuff. If I want to stick a film on that I own, I just reach into my fucking pocket, grab my phone. I can start watching on my phone if I wanted to. That's the nice thing. I, I admit, I, I I watch quite a bit on my phone. And the thing is, I've got an unlimited data package on my phone as well, so that that helps, you know. But anyway, anyway, um, yeah. So Need for Speed. Um, so I wasn't expecting much from this, unsurprisingly. Um, you know, based on the Electronic Arts video game franchise, as I believe the credits actually put it at the end, um, which is really kind of bizarre, like really weirdly depressing. Um, <laughs> and, and I mean, it's even got an EA logo at the start where like even a football comes out of the logo and it's like, oh my God, all right, FIFA reference, all right. And yeah, so... It's directed by Scott Waugh, who was a co-director on Act of Valor, which was fucking terrible. Um, that was Act of Valor. Act of Valor was like watching somebody you don't like play Call of Duty. Pretty much, yeah. Act of Valor is a terrible film. It's well-meaning as it yeah. is, because it is, it is well-meaning, but it, like, yeah. it is still it's shit. It's brutal. Um, so yeah, wasn't expecting much of this. Um, Aaron Paul, in his first kind of lead role post-Breaking Bad, um, Imogen Poots as the love interest, that's all good by me. Um, Dakota Johnson as his ex-girlfriend, again, all good by me. Uh, Dominic yep. Cooper. Uh, Raheem Malik, um, who I actually quite like that guy. Um, he was, he kind of pops up in things, but he was um, the, the guy who gets married to Philip Seymour Hoffman's daughter in The Master. 
Oh yes, he, he, he yeah, he does he does crop and other stuff. He was in um, he was in the old boy remix, I think, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, he might well have been actually, and he was in um, like Night in the Museum too. I, I believe he's in uh, the, yeah. the Sweet Blood of Jesus as well. The new the new Spike Lee. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um. So it's kind of a good cast, frankly. Um. For for what this is. Um. The thing is, it is really, 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 really stupid. <laughs> like, just. To, to, I mean, even to the extent that you know, even when you're watching the film, you still notice stuff like this. Somehow, despite all these people being in different vehicles, one person's in a helicopter for quite a large portion of the film. They all talk to each other as if they're all right next to each other. And it's like, how <laughs> the hell are you possibly hearing what they're saying? And, and is that, that a little bit like in the Avengers, where they're all talking to each other and they can all hear each other, despite the fact that none of them are actually wearing earpieces? Yeah, it's exactly that. I mean, in the car... They do have, like, kind of phone connectivity, but it doesn't, like, at these moments that I'm thinking of particularly, they're, they're not on, they're not on the phone at all. It, it's, it's like, what? Um, it's like they've almost got psychic connections or something, which maybe was the point, like, they're brothers or so, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and, um, my... Oh, no, it's not a car movie about family, is it? Kind of. <laughs> but not as... Family. It's all about the family. That, um, you know, the Fast and Furious films are. Um, and Michael Keaton is basically <laughs> he's he's this host of this like internet show about racing, and like there's this scene where they're saying like no one knows who he is. He's just called Monarch, and people say his family was in some sort of like big din- like rich dynasty. Blah blah blah. No one knows who he is. He's a mystery. He does this internet show where he's talking at a camera. And, and, and yeah, it's, it, it, I don't know. And it's like, why is he a mystery? Why can't he just be some rich car lover? And it, it's like this sense of mystery about him. And you've got Michael Keaton, who it literally looks like they gave him a couple of bottles of Jack Daniels, put him in this room and said, I want you to chat at this camera and walk around, do whatever you want, but just talk bollocks for two hours. <laughs> Get pissed, and we'll give you half a million dollars. And Michael Keaton said, just said, that sounds like my average Thursday afternoon. <laughs> and, and so, you, he is just talking the weirdest, like, seemingly profound shite that you've ever heard. And it just, no one scripted it. Michael Keaton just weirdly method acted being a rich, mysterious, car race loving guy and just got pissed. And, 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 You are absolutely selling this. Mate, the thing is, the thing is, I think you'll fucking love Need for Speed. And I gave it a three out of five on Letterboxd. I am so tempted to up that. Because the thing is, in a, it's a, in a kind of a it doesn't know what it's doing way. It's a little bit Alex Cross. <laughs> it, you know, it, it really, really thinks it's being serious. It, I mean, there is there are comic relief moments which are not funny in the slightest. But the stuff that's really not intended to be funny is very funny. I, I, so, I, but also. The action is fantastic. 
There is a disregard for human life here that would make Zack <laughs> Snyder break out in hives. If people had a problem with Man of Steel, watch Need for Speed. It, like, literally, it is these guys racing through, like, oncoming traffic, and then it cut into, like, the view, like, a dashboard view of the oncoming traffic getting smacked into and spinning around all over the place. And it's just, like, the sheer wanton destruction in this film. I mean, for the target audience it's aimed at, to, it, the, the film's kind of reprehensible for the kind of example it's showing. <laughs> it just comes up with this thing at the end. But it's not even, like, before the directed by blah, blah, blah. It has, the, like, the main, like, title call and then it says it. So by the time the kids all read the safety messages, they fucked off out, and they're running into oncoming traffic outside the cinema. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's really, it, it's kind of, like, really dodgy. In that kind of way. If I had a 12-year-old son, I don't think I'd want him watching this film because of that. As a 29-year-old man with a kid who hasn't learned to stop shitting herself yet, I'm I'm absolutely fine with it. And it but, the, I mean, the thing is, they, they prided themselves on the fact there's no CG. There's no CG. It's all done practically. And, and yeah, apparently, yeah, and it fucking looks it. Jeez. It's... It, it's really, really, really well handled action. It's shot well. Um, the, the the film looks good. It's shot by the guy who did Terminator Salvation. It got um, uh, chewed out by Christian Bale that time. Um, so, I mean, it's got a good sleek look to it. I mean, the cars look great. Um, the story is absolute bobbins, but obviously. <laughs> but but where the film matters, it fucking works. And where it, it doesn't matter, sometimes it's really funny. So I, this will be a bit of a repeat watch on Netflix for me. I would watch this before most of the Fast films. Probably not Fast 6. Uh, I, I genuinely think Fast and Furious 6 is actually a great action film. But yeah. I think it's on, it's personally... And a lot of people will probably say I'm nuts about this. I think it's on the, le- the, the same level as Fast Five. And it's what about the length though? Because it is two over two hours. Isn't it? Yeah, it's two hours ten. Um, the thing is, it, the, it's kind of broken up quite nicely in terms of like plot, action, plot, action, plot, action. It does take a little bit to get going, but mm. once it gets going, it's really, really solid. Uh, I mean, it's 3.5 out of 5 solid. There you go. Um, it's 3.5 out of 5. Um, I mean, like, the actors are fine. I mean, Aaron Paul doesn't have much charisma in the film. He's kind of doing his brooding Jesse from Breaking Bad thing. But he's fine. Uh, Imogen Poots, she gets a bit to do, I suppose, kind of. But she's very, very close to just being eye candy. Um, not, not as reprehensible as some films. Not like um, the, the the girl that Vin Diesel gets with in Fast Five. Not that bad, but, but <laughs> yeah. kind of close. Uh, but, the, one lit- the one that he literally just bins off at the start. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, the one that yeah, she's just like, <laughs> oh yeah, you know, go to her, you know. And even though I like the, the <laughs> bit at the end of Fast Six where he kind of says, you know, you can stick around if you want, and he's basically trying to have a threesome. That that bit in Fast Six still makes me laugh out loud just thinking about it. 
but yeah, Need for Speed, personally, Mark, I think you'll actually really dig it. So that, there you go. I, 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 a, a pleasant surprise, a genuinely pleasant surprise. Good. Uh, I, I'm actually, I'm actually quite looking forward to watching it. Cause it looks, it looks fun. Yeah. They're not going to do a sequel, but if they were going to do one, I'd actually go to the cinema and watch it. <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't do too bad in terms of box office, but it I think great. it was, it didn't do great. I think it, it made, it made just over two fifty. I think it made uh, off a budget of about seventy. I think. Actually, that's not that bad. I mean, that's not bad. It's not yeah. quite franchise starter, but they wouldn't have lost any money on that. No, it, it, but the thing is, it did poorly in America, but it did shitloads in Asia. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. So I think that was that's their, that's why they were a little bit like, oh, well, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. About it. Nice. I'm done anyway, mate. Your one new. My my one new. Uh, similar to you, um, it, it's a film that I went into. With uh, with sort of expecting to kind of get some enjoyment out of it. Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing what this is. Sorry, yes, yeah, I remember you saying something uh, about this. Yeah, uh, I, I said to Ian after we recorded the the first part of this this podcast, um, I said to Ian that, that I've watched a film that I would be surprised isn't in my top ten at the end of the year, and that it'll be nobody else's top ten at the end of the year. And I'm not a contrarian bastard. I'm not saying it's a great film um, and only I understand it. It's just, it pushed every single button for me, um, this film. Um, and I I will admit that, that one of the types and genres of films I like is sleazy violence. I love a sleazily violent film. A film that is basically just sort of almost, almost trying to be daringly offensive in just quite how violent this uh, a film it can be in completely unnecessary ways and this film is uh, David Ayer's Sabotage oh shit okay have you watched it no not yet no no right just to let you know Sabotage uh, Sam Armstrong you've also got Sam Worthington there Olivia Williams Terrence Howard uh, Joe Maglielo uh, Mag- Josh Holloway Maganiello Niello yeah Maria Enos right now Schwarzenegger says he leads uh, an elite team of DA agents um, who are like a special ops and they're like the the, the kick ass they're the badass motherfuckers that, you, that get sent into places that nobody else wants to go and they go in and they get the fucking job done nice. and they have nicknames like Razor nicknames Breacher, and then you've got Monster, Grinder, Sugar, Neck, Pyro, neck. Tripod. It says seriously Rose. someone called Neck. Yes, that's amazing. Neck, Jordan. <laughs> uh, and then Lizzie <laughs> is the Mario Enos character. Uh, she's called Lizzie. <laughs> nice. Um, now, start the film. Um, you get uh, you get Sean um, Schwarzenegger, and this is a spoiler. Cause it, this is the first scene in the film. Uh, you get him be he, he essentially he's watching a, a a home video, but not a nice home video or a sexy home video. It's a home video of a woman, which is quite obviously uh, his wife, uh, being tortured. And then we flash forward eight months and. His dear, his team are going in uh, to uh, a cartel safe house, um, and 
they essentially uh, plot to steal $10 million from them. Uh, now, straight away, something happens that you can't explain and that doesn't actually make any sense within the first 10 minutes. Okay. But by then, if you are not going in the back of your mind, I don't actually care that that doesn't make sense, then you're going to fucking love the rest of the movie. Right. Because essentially, it is just unnecessary hyper-violence uh, and Maria Enos just being utterly, completely batshit. Uh, there are... Essentially, they steal $10 million and then the $10 million goes missing. So they're under investigation because this $10 million has gone missing. They all suspect each other of taking the $10 million and they're put on kind of like a probation where they're being watched all the time. And then eventually, when that goes away, they come back together and they're supposed to go back out and actually do this but then the cartel's after them and there's all of these things going on and they all suspect each other that one of them's stolen it and then all of them start getting killed off one by one so you get Olivia Williams comes in because she's investigating these murders and Olivia Williams' accent changes in literally every four or five seconds. Whenever she's talking, at one point she's got, uh, she sounds like she's from the Midwest then at other points she sounds Irish, then she sounds like she's eccentrically British, then she sounds like she's deep south, then she sounds like she's from New York, and it just all happens mid-fucking-sentence almost, and it's wonderful. You've got Schwarzenegger just been a fucking ultimate badass. The rest of the team just, all they seem to do is shoot people, insult each other, and drink. And that is it. And it is just glorious. It is, it's under two hours long. The story makes little and no fucking sense at all, but it doesn't need to because there's just so much great, gritty, horrible, grimy, sleazy violence in this. I utterly adored it. And I can see myself just watching this film at least sort of maybe twice a year. Sweet, bloody hell. Yeah, it is, it is brilliant. The, just the, 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 just, just some great moments, like when they, they think that, um, they're having a, one of the wakes round at, um, Schwarzenegger's house. Um, and Marilla Enos answers the door and it's Olivia Williams and she thinks she's the stripper that they've, that they've, that they've hired to come to the wake. And just like, you, you know, they hire a stripper to go to a wake. That's it. So, so, so you, you just, you went, you kind of breeze past that. <laughs> yeah, and, and Schwarzenegger's is like, she's not the stripper. She's investigating next murder. <laughs> and so they all, they're all going. I don't know. She does look like she could be the stripper. And he's going, no, she's she's investigating next murder. And then when she leaves, the stripper comes in as she's leaving. And it's just there's a moment where they go to a bar. Uh, to celebrate the fact that they're all back together and that, you know, that they've, they're finally a team again. And then, at one point, Schwarzenegger's having a a talk with uh, Sam Worthington's character, Monster. And in the background, um, 
Marilla Ellis is, is, is just is just pole dancing, but not in like a sexy way, like a like a drunk woman <laughs> is pole dancing, and it's just there's just glorious moments like that, and she is the most insane character of the lot of them. Nice. It is. It's just great fun, and I can absolutely understand why the vast majority of people hated this film, but. Throughout it, I was just beaming with a smile. It finished. Beck Thompson, what did you think? Because I, I loved it. I loved every second of it. I loved every second of the fact that in the first five minutes, a mistake is made, and the entire rest of the film hinges on that mistake, and it doesn't matter. Nice. I, I, I honestly absolutely loved it, and I know that most people will be going, it's shit. <laughs> All power to you, bud. Thank you. Bloody yeah, hell, fair play. Good. It's it's so much goddamn fun. Very nice, very nice. Oh, and also, it's written by, uh, co-written by David Ayer and Skip Woods. Um, and you get all of his, you know, nonsensical kind of, he's just desperately trying to bring one line of back. Oh, God, yeah, he did um, Die Hard 4.0, didn't he? And, um, yeah, and he did the, the A-Team film yeah, as well. Yeah, okay, that makes complete sense. No, fair enough. Yeah. Um, I, I will be watching this soon. Yeah, I, I, I hope you get even half as much out of it as, as I did. It kind of sounds like it was pretty close to blowing you, so I'm... Um, I'm... It, it, it was, it was, yeah. Nice, fair play. <laughs> right, go on then, here's with your one old. Okay, so um, I'll, I'll be quick, to be honest, I haven't got too much to say about it. Uh, my one old is Moon, um, which I actually got off Google Play. Got it in HD for five ninety nine. That'll do. Why not? It's a buy. So that'll do. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't have much to say about it. It's the only. Um, it's the only one old I did apart from uh, Grand Budapest Hotel and Before Midnight. I kind of mentioned those when we reviewed Boyhood. So uh, yeah, um, I mean, it's just it. it it's a really, really interesting story. I mean, I don't think it's a five out of five film. Um, I'll say, I it's right, right now, right now. Noel is shouting, "Fuck you!" Yeah, <laughs> out loud. Yeah, he probably is actually. It's. I will. Yeah, no, he probably is. I. I will say the. The kind of the the relationship between the Sam Bells. I'm a little bit. It kind of feels like for a, for a while they're kind of at two opposite poles, and then they kind of switch over, and and, and then I don't know, they just kind of come to an understanding. It doesn't quite, it doesn't quite click for me, but it, it's it, it's a kind of a relatively mild complaint, I would say. And also, there is a moment early on in the film that I don't think makes any sense, where Sam sees somebody. Yeah. Um, like it, it, but well, I mean, it's like ten, fifteen minutes into the film. He, he's like standing there, like pouring some hot water, and he looks around, and I think it's his daughter is sat there, but mm. it, he's not. Like, and, but it's like as like she is her age, as you see her later in the film, and at that point, he hasn't seen her. And unless it's some sort of weird genetic psychic memory thing, I don't see how that bit completely makes sense. And there's there's some moments in it as well where, like, he's looking at a monitor and then it kind of cuts to something at, at, 
it kind of cuts to like a, a vision of like an earlier Sam and it, it like mm. talking. It's just like, well, what what's that all about? Then it doesn't quite it doesn't quite click for me. So there, there are a couple of little, just little niggly things that I have that I think stops it being quite as fully formed as I'd like it to be. And no, feel free to argue with me on that. Um, but I mean, Rockwell is great. I, I think the dual roles he does really, really well with. Kevin Spacey is the perfect choice for Gertie. Uh, but it, it, his kind of like you, the ambiguousness of Gertie is is well done. Even though, also, if you want to be poking holes a little bit, I would maybe argue it, it's kind of revealed which side Gertie is on a little bit too early for my liking. Um, I, I would have liked a little bit more, even though then again, I kind of like the fact that even though it's revealed what side he's on, he still, he still kind of says things in terms of his programming that it, 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 it's like he's still following orders, but he's not following orders at the same time. I don't know, there's a little bit, it's just a little bit first time filmmaker about it when it comes to these kinds of things, but... Yeah, I mean, like the, the 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 visuals still hold up really well. I mean, I think the look of the film is great, and the miniature work is awesome. Um, mm. I mean, fantastic. Um, I mean, the ending I think is strong, um, and yeah, I mean, it's just it's a very very interesting high class genre film which belies its small budget. I, mm. I, I like. I just I don't think it's perfect, but I am. I, I'm still very high on Moon. Yeah, I, 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 I love Moon. It's an incredible film. Uh, I'm very, very much looking forward to um, Duncan Jones' World of Warcraft film. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Just, I, I would have no interest in that at all, but then they, they did seem to make a very good kind of choice of picking a, a director who is interesting visually, but also has been an avid World of Warcraft player for a number of years. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. That is promising. Yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so that's that's that. Um, and yeah, I, I, actually, I, I think that's about all I've already got to say on me. So um, yeah, that's one old one you've done then, eh? Yes. Right. Cool. Let's move on to the last part of the last part of. Uh, Ian and Mark Frayler and shit each other. Here's the trailer for Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and we will get into it. We're talking about huge potential for millions of people. Our therapy enables the brain to repair itself. We call it the cure. I want you to start testing on chimps ASAP. We test one subject. I want to make sure it's stable. I designed the 112 for repair. The stage has gone way beyond that. You need increased intelligence. The skills that far exceed that of a human counterpart. This is wrong, Will. It works. And what about Caesar? Where does he fit in? That chip's company property. He hasn't spent any time with other chips. They're not people, you know. 
you trying to control things that are not meant to be controlled. Contaminate. Put those apes down. You have no idea what you're dealing with. Planet of the Apes is directed by Rupert Wyatt and stars James Franco, Frida Pinto, uh, Andy Serkis, obviously, uh, John Lithgow, um, David Oyelowo, um, I think I pronounced that right, and uh, Tyler Levine. Um, and the story is uh, Dr. Will Rodman, played by James Franco, is a scientist doing work on chimpanzees, testing out experimental drugs on them, ALZ-112, I believe it's called, uh, to basically try and cure Alzheimer's, and uh, he's got a personal reason for this. His dad, played by John Nevgal, is suffering from the ailment. Um, through a series of circumstances, he finds himself taking care of Caesar, an ape uh, played by Andy Circus when he gets older, um, who has had the uh, the Alzheimer's uh, drug and, well, no, he hasn't. His mother did, then his mother mm. died, and then he was there, and it was in his bloodstream anyway, and they continue to uh, educate him and whatnot, and uh, things go on. Um, he starts to not like humans very much, and wouldn't you know it, a lot of the other apes around don't either. Uh, <laughs> Mark, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, so this was only the second time I actually watched um, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, I was one of those. I was not as um, excited about Rise as many people people were. I was a little bit wary of it. Um, but then when I did watch it, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and again on, on my um, rewatch here, um, I, I really enjoyed it. It's a it's a really well-made film. It's it's a the story's a very good story. Uh, it, it it ticks along at a nice enough pace. I think I think it does it does lose itself in the maybe it, it takes a little bit too long to go from its early middle to its to its exit kind of. I think that's where it loses itself a little bit. There it goes a bit jumble. Um, but yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Rise. Um, although I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's perfect. I do think there are some, some kind of flaws to it. But uh, on all, yeah, I, I do think Rise is a, a very, very good movie. Yeah, I fucking love this film. I actually, yes, you do. I actually think it's going to be hard for Dawn to to top it. Um, I'm really, re- I'm seeing, as we record, I'm seeing Dawn tomorrow night, uh, well, tomorrow afternoon, and I'm really, really excited. But, um, yeah, I am, um, um I, I, I don't know, the words could not describe 
how happy moments of this film make me. Most of them come in the final act, unsurprisingly. Yes, it, it is an incredible um, final act. I think... It is. I mean, it, it, it's a great film, but it, it, it comes alive towards that towards that end. Once, once essentially, weirdly enough, I think once the dispensement of of any kind of human um, characters being the forefront it is dispensed off. I actually, yeah, I think that's fair enough. Actually, it. The, 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 but then again, I mean, the thing is, the human characters. I like the arc of Will. You know, the, the whole kind of like trying to cure his dad, and he basically ends up a, 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 essentially ending humanity as they know it, both through the rise of the apes, but also through the virus. Even though, again. Then again, the virus thing isn't really his fault. If you're going to have one niggle about the film, I think, you know, when um, uh, old um, Tucker or Dale, whichever one it is, um, when he breathes in the virus, they are very, very quick to just go, yeah, you're all right? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. fine. Yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. Then don't get worried when he starts to be ill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, that, it, that is... Yeah, I think you could definitely poke holes in Dale, that. he was, by the way. Sorry? <laughs> he was Dale. Sure, okay, that one. <laughs> that driven mad, that. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Dale, so him. Um, yeah, so, I, I, I mean, so I, I like that. I like that, that character, and I, I like his relationship with Caesar. I mean, I think it's going to set, I, and I think that's going to set up Dawn very well, just in terms of the fact that he has a very different experience of humans and the, the potential for human kindness than a lot of the other apes do. I mean, like the, the it looks like the main bad guy ape in Dawn is um, going to be Cobra, um, who yeah. in this one is basically seen as a like a, a, a kind of a, almost a fun, vengeful figure. He, he's evil-faced bastard ape. Yeah, he is evil-faced bastard ape, but at the same time, when he kicks that fucking helicopter down... Oh, you, you, the thing is, that that, that is the one thing that I, that I, that I think it, it is hammered home in, in this film, is humanity, we're bastards. Yeah. And it literally is, we deserve everything we get. We're bastards, because for every one good one of us... There's fucking loads of nobats. Yeah, no, that's abs- that's absolutely that's absolutely true. Um, and I, mean, I, I definitely think that's going to be how Dawn kind of take, uh, takes that on. Um, but I mean, as its own self-contained film, I mean, I think it just—I uh, think the element, the, the kind of the different elements of the story, all click together really nicely. Um, even though it is obviously by the end of the film, it is the story of Caesar. I mean, like. James Franco's character has nothing to do in the final act whatsoever. No, he doesn't. To be fair, he doesn't have an awful lot to do once Caesar is in that sanctuary. I think the movie kind of tricks you at first by tricking you into thinking that it's actually a movie about James Franco, but it isn't. Franco's character is there to introduce you and to get you on board with Caesar. And then what it kind of almost goes, all right, let's move it, let's move it. All right, well, because that's where we're going with it all. And then, then, then before you know it, you're going, hang on a minute, there's no humans left. And it's almost like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I mean, what I also really like about about the third act in particular is that they are not really wanting to fight humans. They just want to get to the redwoods. And yeah. the idea that the humans just don't really seem to understand this or don't even stop to think about it and straight away they are just like, kill the apes, kill the apes, kill the apes. That as well, I think, just sets up again for the for the sequel, but not in a kind of like a point, not in a jumper way setting up the sequel, but just kind of thematically <laughs> the idea that there's going to be a distrust of humans because they they are like their experience of them are shoot first ask questions later. Yeah, yeah I mean it seems like the majority of those apes, which there does that is one thing. The, the amount of apes seems to grow quite big. There seems to be like a small number in that um, sanctuary, and then there's fucking loads of them. Well, there, there is the zoo. And they break them out. I suppose, yeah, there is, there, is, there is a zoo as well that they go to, so yeah. And also, if you've got, like, the apes at the facility as well, maybe? I, I suppose, you know, that actually explains it quite well, so ignore me. <laughs> yeah, so, um... Yeah, I don't know, it's, um... Yeah, no, I, 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 I think that would be it, really. But, I mean, also just the way that they kind of utilise the um, the apes as well. I mean, you've, you've got all sorts of different ones, and they've got um, kind of different different skill sets and whatnot. I mean, in the third act, I think that really does show it off. Um, I mean, if you, if you are wanting to be uncharitable towards the film, but personally, I don't really care. I think some of the... I think the kind of the references get a bit much... Yeah, yeah, there, there, there is. Um, if you want somebody to deliver an iconic line, um, you don't give it to Tom Felton. That's a fair point. You know, you, you don't give it to somebody who, let's face it, you know, I know he was in the Harry Potter films, but he's not a very good actor. He's just not. Yeah, no, he's 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 not a very good actor, is Tom Felton. But I mean, and to be fair, you've barely seen him in in anything since this. Yeah. No, I mean he, he was he was pretty shaky in the fucking Harry Potter films. He just looked like an evil little twat, um, and he, he seems like a really nice guy. But uh, um, yeah, it, it, you know, and he might grow into being a really good actor. But in this, he, he does feel like he's playing Gap Year um, Draco Malfoy. Gap Year Draco, yeah, no, that's true. And I mean, like, I suppose Brian Cox doesn't get an awful lot to do in the film, but it kind of is what it is. I mean, I think he's fine. It's just his character isn't. Yeah. there isn't much to his character. No, and um, you know, I, I, I think that the the film is is, is essentially, I think, it, it, and it's good for it. It's made by the the the, the primate characters, by the eight characters. Um, and it, that, that's a good thing that it's it's become uh, that these film these become the better characters and these become the characters that, that you you remember more. I remember, uh, and I that's I take away from it the the most sort of you know the, the best moment in it obviously is the first time that Caesar speaks. It's just brilliant, closely followed by Ape on a Horse. No, no, the best it's, the best moment in the film is Ape on a Horse. Yeah, actually, I think you're probably right. Actually, he probably is ape on a horse. But then the the, the saddest moment is um, it, it is when Book gets shot. That's the saddest moment in the entire film for me, because you know it's 
it's almost like his his general, his lieutenant, um, has been has been shot, and it's a bit like Book has kind of almost gone. Hang on a minute, they're going to kill Caesar. No fucking way. And it's the way that he literally runs over and just knocks Caesar out of the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, Beats the chest and then jumps into the, the helicopter knowing that, that it's probably going to kill him. And it, it, it's that. And it's it's those slight kind of... I know it's, it's those slight humanising of the um, of the apes that makes the more relatable. And, the, you know, it, it's that kind of thing. It, it, but it does work. And some of the... You know the the actual anger that you start to get and the resentment that you start to get from Caesar towards um, you know humans. You see it building. Uh, it, it is brilliant, and it's it, they're the moments where this film shines. And the reason why I have a lot of high hopes for Dawn is because there's no forty five minutes an hour. Of, of building up to those moments. We've already had that. It's just going to be dropping you straight in and we're going to get a load of those moments. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see what, like, the kind of the, the, the structure of that film, I suppose, just like, because, I mean, I suppose it's going to be introducing us to Ape World, you know, and yeah. now as well, you know. I, I mean, I, one, one thing that I... I does make me laugh though is I remember when um, the, the kind of the marketing for this film was coming out and you know people were very very dubious about the film and I, I, to be fair quite rightly so because this was coming at a time when like Fox were only just kind of getting over the stink of being the most like the rushing out uh, yeah. focus group kind of bobbins blockbuster like studio out there I mean like the infamous stories about X-Men Origins Wolverine are you know are a case in point and you know just kind of like trying to launch franchises and not doing a very good job and like literally the time between this film starting principal photography and getting released was less than a year which is insane especially as well you had a you had a um, a director who had made one film was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, Rube White. The he Escapist, made the, uh, the which is yeah. a great film. You know, let me write a great film, but you, you you kind of got the feeling that they the studio quite easily could have pushed him around. Sure, and I I, I kind of think that they didn't have time to as as much as anything else. You know, yeah. and, But I mean, it, it kind of made me laugh though that the marketing of the film, the big thing in the marketing was from Weta Digital, the, the, the visual effects house that brought you Avatar. And it's like, mm. that's your big selling thing. But when you watch the film, it's like, yeah, that's your big selling yeah, thing. Yeah, that's your big selling thing, yeah. And, yeah, and you, even though, I mean, like, I don't well. think, I think that, I do think the apes look better still than when they're in motion. Yeah, and, yeah there's, there's that, I don't know, that kind of, too familiar um, fluidity to them. They they move far too perfectly um, go, going through, and you, you you can it gets a little bit sort of computer game cutscene at points. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's there's a smooth yeah smoothness. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's kind of what you're saying there. That it, it is a bit it is a bit off putting, but um, it almost makes you go. But can 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 they actually fucking move like that? Mm, but I mean, you know, and, and and they can. 
But it, it almost everything seems too perfect. Yeah, but I, mean, I, I think there are shots in the film that still look photo real. I mean, there's a there's a shot at the start of the film where it's just like kind of there's an ape that kind of looks around because I know like apparently there's not not one ape in this film was a real ape. And like mm. every single one was CG, and there's one particularly at the start that looks photo real, and I think a lot of the shots of Caesar look fantastic as well. Even though I do wonder if they have slightly anthropomorphized elements of him in the face, mm. like if there's a bit of just a bit of Andy Serkis face in there. Um, yeah. Even though I mean Andy Serkis is great, and his voice as well, like that is. Mm. It just doesn't sound like a like Andy Serkis doing that voice. I mean, it, it, it's it's incredible. Um, it, 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 Andy Serkis is, is, is a strange kind of actor now because you know he's his roles. Um, it, it's kind of his big roles. Largely, people don't even you know the generally people don't even realise. That it's him. Yeah. I mean, for instance, you know, a lot of like Caesar and a lot of those facial expressions, like I said, the voice and stuff like that, they do come from Andy Serkis, and it's a really, you know, the facial expressions that you get from Caesar, there, it, 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 it's like a level above acting through the face kind of thing, and it's the same with like um, King Kong, and obviously, you know, everybody knows the character Siegel, but it, 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 you wonder if people know that, you know. Maybe it should be, it should be credited more as such. It should be made more of a big deal of that. That Caesar isn't just a CGI composite. Uh, it is a, an actor at the core of it all. I I heard Andy Serkis is actually like the first build actor in the new one. See that that's good. That's the sort of thing that it should yeah, be. Yeah, because you might get average Joe public going. What's Andy Circus in this? Because in this in this one in Rise, it is and Andy Circus as Caesar. Yeah, which does feel cheeky because it 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 really fucking shouldn't be that. No, he, he's the fucking main character of the goddamn film. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I, I mean. I, Again, I, mean, I suppose also Frida Pinto doesn't have an awful lot to do. No, she doesn't do shit. Let's be honest. You know, um, she's, she's kind of there to go. Yeah, love interest. You know, looks after it. Yeah, pretty that's, much. You know, but <laughs> that's it. but I mean, I, I I don't know. Again, I'm kind of I'm not not really that concerned about that, but. I mean, I, the, the thing is, apparently, I'm, I'm hearing Kerry Russell in the new one doesn't have a lot to do either, and it, it, I mean, I, I, it is kind of a shame, but I, I don't know, it is what it is. Look, these films aren't about the main bits, aren't about the humans, they're about the the apes. And, you know, the new one's got Jason Clark in it, so it's going to be fucking great. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll find out. In, in less than 24 hours, I will have seen it, so. <laughs> uh, um, but, yeah, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, I mean, definitely not shit for me. Yeah, definitely not shit. It, it's, it, it is smart enough, but it also has enough thrills to really justify its place as a blockbuster, I think. Yeah. Nice. Um, okay, so let's do some feedback. We've got some audio feedback. Which do, I haven't listened to yet because I want it to be fresh. Oh, really? Okay, so here's <laughs> no. uh, some audio feedback which I'm going to listen to now and pause the recording. 
Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, gentlemen. Uh, it's Noel here. Just wanted to drop you a quick bit of feedback on the show. Um, it's currently Tuesday morning. I'm wandering about around uh, Media City uh, ahead of a of ahead of a meeting, and I've got a bit of time to kill, so I thought I'd uh, drop you a line. Anyway, um, I've been wondering about listening to your life itself review. Um, <clears throat> great work as always, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to pick up on a couple of points that you got into, uh, upon which I have my own opinion. So. Um, yeah, you talked a little bit about the current obsession with, you know, um, opinion based on opinion. Uh, I think that is a huge issue for me at the moment. I'm so tired of hearing how other people have a certain opinion on a movie and how that stands against everybody else. You know, if, if everybody hates a movie, I love it. If everybody loves a movie, I hate it. It's, it's tiresome. Um, and I think it's kind of a reflection of where we are as uh, nowadays with sort of online criticism and everybody having a voice and everybody having to try and find an angle and everybody having to try and find a position that makes them stand out from everybody else. Um, and, you know, we've all done it, I've done it, um, but I think, you know, it's kind of one of the reasons why I have, uh, over the last few years, tried to stay away from online film criticism a little bit and, and I don't write reviews anymore. Um, just because I've kind of got a little bit fed up with the way the internet can be about that stuff, so I just, I stay clear of it. Um, I think where I am now is more of a sort of, you know, um, I'll watch what I want to watch and I'll, I'll, I'll have my own opinion based on my own opinion and nothing else. Um, and you talked a little bit about that when you got into life itself as well, you know, the idea of Roger Ebert being a person who, you know, he believed in his own opinion, he, he knew what he knew and he liked what he liked and he didn't really give a fuck about what anybody else thought and I think that's where I am and I think that's where other people should be as well. I think people should be less concerned about how they appear um, when reviewing a film and more concerned about, you know, did I enjoy this film? Will other people, will other people enjoy this film? And it's as simple as that. Um, our position as podcasters, bloggers or whatever else should be to just indulge ourselves in our love of movies. And yes, if we, if we want to say what our opinion is, then that opinion should be part of a, a discussion with our friends and stuff like that. And it's fine to be sharing that online as well. But, you know, let's try and drop this this um, uh, this self-inflated uh, um, this ego trip where we should just be hobbyists, just sort of discussing our love of film with one another. It's not it's not that big a deal. Um, so yeah, that's kind of uh, where I stand on it. It's um, as far as the film was concerned, I enjoyed it. It was um, a little bit heart wrenching towards the end, but. Um, uh, you know, I, I having said that, I, I think I could have done with a little more about Robert Ebert, the writer, and a little less about Robert Ebert, Robert Ebert, Roger Ebert, the, the cancer sufferer. Um, so I think that was probably my only one criticism of it. Apart from that, I would say it's certainly a film that um, film lovers, um, film critics, and um, you know, just just people in general should uh, should certainly check out. Um, look forward to speaking to you both very soon on the show and um, that's me done uh, I'm going to go for a meeting now so thanks for letting me kill some time speak to you soon, bye but I remember it mostly to be honest ok, nice uh, thank you very much Noel 
Um, I hope the, the meeting uh, went well. Um, I believe yes. I believe it did because I heard someone say that they saw Noel walking around and he looked like he'd gained about an extra six inches in his trouser area. So, um, yeah, it, it looked like the, the meeting went well and the operation was a success. So, uh, thanks, sir. And, uh, yeah, agree with all of that, basically. I don't have to add. I was pretty much nodding along in, in agreement to it and kind of going, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you're right. He usually is that, no, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So, and we've also got another email. Um, so this is uh, Rolf Eichhorn. He says, hello, Ian and Mark. First of all, great show. Been listening to Cinerama, now gone, and the heroes, now gone, and I hope you keep the show alive. Especially Ian is part of my film education now. I've never been told that before. That's awesome. And uh, maybe you can tell me where to find the old Cinerama apps as I couldn't find them. Unfortunately, my hard drive crashed a while ago and I lost some stuff. Any help would be highly appreciated. Um, I will do some hunting around, but I'm not too sure, to be honest. But I swear they're online somewhere. They've got to be. Now, your non-Twitter question. As many films are still waiting for the HD treatment, I created a wish list and was wondering if there are some titles you need to own on Blue and what price would you pay for your favourite movie not being out on Blue yet and if you had the opportunity to purchase a copy just for you. Also, what was the highest price you ever paid for a DVD or Blu-ray? For me, as a huge Columbo fan, I purchased, purchased a Japanese Blu-ray box set for €800. Euro. Sounds nuts, maybe, but this is true dedication. If you love somebody or something, you've got to suffer, right? €800. Euros. That's like, what, 500 quid? Something like that. Uh, cheers, ah, Rolf. Yeah. P.S. Ian, haven't heard from Cam Shigande for a while now, so what's up with him? Uh, he was in the, uh, what is it film, wasn't he? Uh, Bad Johnson. Film. Bad Johnson, yeah. He was. And, yeah. and um, Max Gigande killed himself. Um, <laughs> no, he didn't. No. He's hiding. He's hiding in the woods. Actually, no, he is hiding in the woods. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Um, most of a paper of Blu-ray. Um, fuck. 70 quid, 75 quid for um, the... No, that's the DVD. When the Alien and... Uh, the Alien Quadrilogy came out on DVD first. Ooh. Uh, most I ever paid was for the DVD... I mean, the, 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 the most I ever paid for uh, either box or anything like that was the um, complete Akira Kurosawa uh, box set when that came out. I think that was about 170 quid, I think, when it came out. Uh, but that is, I think, every single um, Kurosawa film. <laughs> so you know, I'll 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 happily I'd happily pay that again. If it came out on Blu-ray again, it was two hundred quid. I'd happily pay it. Uh, I mean, for instance, the, the in less than two weeks' time, the um, the Twin Peaks box set on Blu-ray comes out, um, and I'd I'd happily um, pay um, ridiculous amounts for that. Uh, luckily, it's only $49.95, so that's not too bad. Um, in terms of for films that, that I would like to appear on uh, Blu-ray at some point is... Um, yeah, Giant still needs a fucking Blu-ray. Oh, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, uh, so I, I'd like to see that, that at some point. You know, it's often where you actually start looking for stuff uh, where you think... Oh, that'll have a Blu-ray. And you look for it and you go, shit, I don't have a Blu-ray. 
Um, and then you often you, you forget a little bit afterwards. I'm very much looking forward to the um, the whole the, the the finished final definitive cut of Once Upon a Time in America coming out on Blu-ray. Yeah, but uh, how long is that thing? Uh, the the full finished one is four and a bit hours, uh, two hundred thirty-eight minutes, I think it is. Oh bloody hell, that sounds so that, glorious. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to to that. I mean, I I years ago um, they they showed um, a full uncut version once. Um, well, they probably showed it once. But I only heard about it once um, in a theatre in Paris uh, in the late '90s. Uh, they showed the full. Um, Extended cut, two, no, sorry, 251 minutes it is. They showed a, 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 a more extended cut than normally, not the cut that's coming out on Blu ray very soon, um, in a theatre in Paris. And I, I, I was actually going to go to see it, um, but then in the end, things just happened and I couldn't go. But I was going to go to Paris on my own, like 15 years old, to go and see that. And it, I'd saved up and was going to spend about 250 quid going to see it. Um, but in the end, couldn't end up where I think it, it, it coincided with something to do with school and my dad acted all responsible and so on, I how to go, um, which was obviously the right thing to do. Um, but yeah, so there are certain sort of things that I would, I would pay. For instance, if they brought out the full, full uncut version of The Devils, um, I'd, I'd pay handsomely for that. Very nice, man. Very nice. Um, what would I? 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 I don't know, man. Um, yeah, I mean, an HD copy of The Devils would be immense. Um, mm. That's a really good shout. It's one of the few films I actually still own on DVD, The Devils. Yeah, it, 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 The Devils was the last DVD I bought. For, yeah, actually, I think it probably was me as well. Um Fuck, man. I don't know. It's one of those where in a few weeks' time you'll go, ah! Yeah. I, t- <laughs> yeah. I totally believe that. I totally yeah, believe it, it, that. It's one of those. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to... I, I actually think I'm going to have to pass, even though I think the Devils is a good idea. I will just say, fucking... The two providers I used to do Cinerama through, Podbean and Je- uh, Podomatic and Jellycast, have both just deleted all the old casts. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't have a backup of them either. Mm. Um, so if somebody does get in touch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd be intrigued. God knows I don't ever want to listen to them. Um, <laughs> I'm just having a look on iTunes, just in case. Fucking. But Mark, do you want to continue and I'll, uh, I'll uh, kind of, yeah, uh, we've got we, we do have a, a, a couple of questions. Uh, I, what I'll do is while you're looking at that, that I'll read out the uh, the couple of responses we got to, to our question that we've got. Oh, out, cool man, yeah, good. Uh, which was, uh, what film did you uh, rent uh, a lot as a child? Um, basically, took this from the idea of boyhood and you know the fact that we see a kid growing up. So I thought it kind of linked a little bit. Uh, Tom at very cinematic uh, said that's the future because I wanted to look that cool in a body warmer in a skin tight jeans nice. and I'm sure you fucking did. Yeah, I've got a question for us, but we'll come to that in a minute. Um, Sophie Pitts uh, at Boosh uh, seventy one said, "Trud or aliens?" 
uh, a game to, I think, well, I, I actually had a copy of Aliens uh, on VHS when I was growing up, so I used to watch the shit out of that, though. Uh, Rich Kid, again, he's got a question, but I'll, I'll read out this first. Uh, Rich J Kid, uh, actually at Rich J Kid on Twitter. Really lost art because it's fun, action packed, plus watching Nazi's head melt was cool to a seven year old. Yes, it was. Uh, it's still cool to a, uh, you know, to a 31 year old as well, to be honest. Uh, let's have a look, see what else have we got. Um, I think, uh, the rest of them are questions. Oh, I'll tell you what. Um, if you look up Cinerama on iTunes, there's still one of the feeds is still working. Oh. It includes a two hour 41 minute episode where Noel and I review Terminator Salvation. I remember that episode. Fucking hell, that review is an hour and 50 minutes long. <laughs> That's almost as long as the fucking movie. <laughs> what? Right, there's... Oh, man, there's a bloody... Over... Oh, how long is that? It's a review of Watchmen that I, uh, we, I did with um, Mike and Paul from Chinstroker vs. Punter. I remember that. Uh, that review is an hour and ten minutes. <laughs> and... Then there's a 21-minute bit at the end called Shinorama Nights. <laughs> On that episode, I also did a Blu-ray review of the Midnight Meat Train. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm going to have to go back and listen to a few of these again. Fucking what? And there's, right, what else is there? There's an hour and 26-minute review of the, the of, uh, 2009 Star Trek film with Mike and Paul. What the fuck? And then uh, the rest of it. Oh, yeah, there's a... Yeah, there's a crossover episode of... Oh, yeah, I used to be on Chinstrucker vs. Punter all the time. Uh, we did Commando. That's all. I, I, again, remember that? Bloody that hell. Man. Is that one where you try and sing the theme tune? I don't know, did I? I think one of you does. The thing is, I used a lot of these podcasts, I used to do really, really drunk. You're very drunk on the Commando one. Yeah, alright, that makes sense. Fuck, I don't ever want to listen to that. (laughs) Um, But I think... I think that's it. Um, I think it's literally just... Yeah, fucking Podomatic have just taken off... um, the other Cinerama, that's really, really sad. Yeah, if anyone actually has some old Cineramas, if they do, I don't know why you would, but if you do, let us know. Cool. Sorry. Um, no, not all. Uh, got a few questions. Um, Thomas DJ, uh, at Nocturne, Tom DJ, um, sent us one uh, earlier in the week, uh, saying, TV director you most want to see direct a theatrical feature? TV director? Yes. Um, Michelle McLaren, um, Breaking, Bad's and Ga- uh, Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones director, um, she's, got, she's got a good eye. Um, that's, the, that's my answer, Michelle McLaren. Um, she's the only one who really stands out to me. I would have yeah, said um, I would have said Alan Taylor before For the Dark World, but 
Yeah, but that didn't work out too great, did it? Mine's Kurt Sutter um, from uh, writer and uh, executive producer, creator, uh, and sometime director on Sons of Anarchy, um, just because you you can tell a, um, a, um, a Kurt Sutter directed episode of, of Sons of Anarchy um, because there, there, there's, there's a definite style behind it. Um, I mean, for instance, the, the final episode of um, of season three um, that he directed uh, is there. I would say the final forty minutes of that, thirty forty minutes of that, because the, the final episode is an hour and twenty minutes long. I think um, the final kind of forty minutes of that does contain just some of the the best film, TV, anything. Uh, I'd, I'd ever come across. Um, there's a, 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 a section where for about 15, 20 minutes, and then I'm not going to give anything away and say what happens because there'll be people, for instance, Noel and uh, Glenty Chapman, who I know are, are big um, Suns fans, um, will know what I'm talking about, where you get a few characters get almost get their redemption on, on things, but they're very much in a... Um, in um, it, it, it's not in a, an angry way. There's almost there's a, a great kind of poetry towards it. So that'd be mine. Um, get through these. Uh, we've got another one that is um, Tom Atkins cinematic. You're given 100 million to make a film about the life of Seth Blatter. Who would you cast, and what would it be called? Tim Roth, because wasn't he already Seth Blatter? He is set like in that in the film that, that no one knows when it's getting released, apart from it's getting released in Russia. Um, I, I, I cannot wait to see that. Just, get, uh, just I, get Tim Roth to do it, man. Fuck it, he's fine. Yeah. I'd cast uh, Will Ferrell in it, and it'd be called Moneyballs, but with a Z kind of facing the wrong way around and half hanging off the side of the, the word Moneyball. And it would literally just be the film that everybody's imagining right now where... Where Will Ferrell manages to make Seth Blatter seem even more of a bumbling imbecile than he actually fucking is in real life. Oh, by the way, we were we were we were, we were right victors, but wrong scoreline in our predictions. Oh, fucking yeah, that was terrible. Yeah, um, Rich J Kid, uh, what indie director would you like to see do a blockbuster, and what type of film would it be? Fucking, they're all bloody doing blockbusters now. Damn it, well, Jim Jarmusch. Yeah. Fucking Iron Man 4. Mine would be, I'm going to slightly cheat and say um, Park Chan-wook, just doing like a fucking, a blockbuster kind of space opera kind of thing. That'd be pretty sweet, actually. That'd be, it'd be nice to see what somebody like Park Chan-wook could do with $120 million. You know, when you look at what the fuck the guy can do with 40 to 60. Yeah. Imagine what he could do with that. You know, you could say Lynch, but he did he did Dune and it, it did work. So yeah, uh, that's 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 it for our question. Oh shit, that's it, is it? Fair enough. Yeah, that, that's that's it. So we, you know, we, we had some cracking ones there. We, we do really like doing the questions. So like I say, fire them in at any point during the whenever they come to you. Uh, you don't just have to wait for us to ask. We're getting more and more as well. It's good. Man. Yeah, it's good. It's, yeah. it's really good. I'm I'm very. Yeah, really happy about that. Um, 
Okay, so coming on on next week's show, reviews unsurprisingly going to be Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, we're also going to be doing a retro review before our new marathon, which we'll discuss next week. We have already decided on it, and um, uh, somebody's going to be joining us in a couple of weeks to talk about one of the films. Uh, an aforementioned person um, uh, whose voice has already been on the show. Um, he wants to join us for uh, for one of them. Cool. Uh, so yes, uh, we'll talk about that next week. Also going to do a retro review, uh, which it was kind of weird. We, Mark had the idea of doing a retro review. I said, let's do this. And he said that was on his choice of three he was going to give me. So, Mark, what are we doing for the retro review? We are doing uh, Michael Mann's The Keep. I am pumped. I have seen The Keep before. You have seen The Keep before. I'm really looking forward to talking about it. I very much am. I'm very much looking forward to Tangerine Dreaming the shit out of this. Boom. Nice. Um, very nice. And, yeah, we'll have the usual stuff as well. And I think that's probably going to do it because um, it's quite a long show, actually, so fair play. Um, yeah, the last one was as well. Yeah, it's, it's this recording it in two days thing, man. It, 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 it I don't know, it, it kind of seems to give us more opportunity to do that. But, uh, yeah, so uh, that's it. Thank you very much for listening, guys. And we'll speak to you next week. Cheers, bye.